Like The Big Chill or The Breakfast Club, today's 1980s set comedy follows a group of friends dealing with friendship, heartbreak, and loss. So stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Unpretty's Table Read here on the Popcorn Talk Network. If this is your first time tuning in, uh, guys, this is a show where we table read some of Hollywood's hottest unproduced pilots and features. As I mentioned, today we're reading a beautiful little ensemble dramedy um, called Happy Birthday, Ray, written by the lovely Catherine Easton. <laughs> Woo! Catherine, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you. We'll get into more of you in a little bit. Um, but before we do that, guys, my name is Jeff. If you want to find me online, you can do that on Twitter at Jeffrey C. Graham. And as always, I'm surrounded by my brilliant friends who are also actors, Andrew. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram and Twitter. And today, I will be reading for Lenny and Percy. Hey, guys. I'm Roxy Stryer. You can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer. And I'll be reading for Frankie. What's up, guys? I am Timothy Michael. You can find me everywhere at I am Timothy Mike. And today, I'm reading Jason Ian Ray and the fabulous George. George. <laughs> George. Hi, everyone. I'm Adrian Snow. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Adrian Snow. <laughs> and I'll be reading for Hetty, among others. Yes. Um, and I'm also reading today, guys. Um, <laughs> there was the character uh-huh. of a passive-aggressive Midwestern dad named Bob. Perfect. And I was yes. like, I've got to read this <laughs> guy. That one. Yeah. Um, That's why we because I know him very, very well. <laughs> Jeff, what's the, the big chill? The Big Chill's so good. It's written by it's Lawrence... It's a frozen yogurt place in Los Angeles. <laughs> it does sound like that. It's, it's written by Lawrence Kasdan, um, who also wrote, like, Indiana Jones. and But he wrote this really, really wonderful um, ensemble dramedy about a college reunion, right? Yeah, it's like 20 years later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I think this has shades of that in the best way, because yeah. The Big Chill, I think, is a wonderful movie. I feel like so the familiar. 80s, we finally started to see funny movies that mm-hmm. were also sad and serious, mm-hmm. which are, like, my favorite kinds of movies. Um, and this is one of them as well, Catherine. I love the script. Um, it's a nickel quarter finalist. It is. Which is very exciting. Yeah. Dang, girl. Yes. Um, but I'm not surprised because it's the kind of stuff we would love to see more of getting made because it's just really lovely, refreshing stuff. And it's real. And it's real. real. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but before we get into it, I'd love for you to kind of introduce yourself and give us sort of the 30-second preview of the world we'll be entering. Ooh, okay. Well, hello. My name is Catherine Easton. I'm a writer. And we are entering the worlds of uh, Frankie and Percy Vincent, a married couple who live in New York City. They're artsy theater people, and they're in their mid-30s, and they are struggling real bad. <laughs> Hasn't quite happened for them yet, and they are going to go meet their friend Ray in the middle of nowhere in the Adirondacks uh, for a bit of a happy birthday reunion, college, fun mm. time. Uh, but Ray is Frankie's ex-boyfriend and Percy's ex-roommate, and so some some problems arise <laughs> when this reunion happens. Yeah. Perfectly well said, um, and I don't think we need any more. I say we get into it with that. Yes. As I mentioned, guys, this is Happy Birthday, Ray, written by the brilliant Catherine I'm Isabel so Easton. I don't know why I'm so excited <laughs> right now. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. It's nice. I think everyone has some really meaty roles today, which yeah. is owes to good writing. But Needed. Yes. Let's get into it, y'all. Fade in, New York City, February 1988. Exterior diner day. Two breakdancers battle out a beat on the sidewalk. A young couple excitedly opens the diner door, hand in hand. A chorus girl in full Broadway Broadway makeup stumbles out the door. Interior diner, dining room day. The dining room is close to empty with just a few tourists. Lenny, a scruffy middle-aged line cook, throws a plate of eggs and toasts down and dings a bell. Order up. Interior diner, bathroom day. Frankie Vincent, mid-30s, looks up from the toilet on her knees when she hears the bell. Brushing her long hair away from her pale face, she fights to hold back nausea. Shit. Her blue waitress's head... 
Band askew, she wipes her mouth. Closing her eyes, she wills herself to get up. Opening her eyes, she notices a splash of diarrhea on the back of the toilet, and overcome with nausea once again, she vomits loudly. Interior diner, dining room day. Lenny, annoyed, drops off the plate he left at the window to an old man in the dining room. Frankie walks into the dining room, missing her headband, her makeup smeared around her eyes. Lenny thuds toward her, grabbing her arm aggressively. Jesus. And he heads her into th- and he leads her into the kitchen. Interior diner kitchen day. Frankie sits on a dirty empty crate as Lenny gets her some as Lenny gets her some cloudy tap water. A dishwasher in the background lazily rinses plates with his Walkman on, smoking a cigarette. Really? I'm fine. You drink too much last night or something? Something. You ain't knocked up, are you? Her hands... He hands her the cup of water. She looks up at him, stung. No. Frankie puts her head down and thumbs at her wedding band. I'm sorry, kid. Lenny shifts his weight and looks out of the dining room. Well, we're short today. You want some coke or whatever to get you to the lunch shift? Lenny, I... Don't do coke. Whatever. Just trying to help. Why? Do you have some? Interior Black Box Theater Day. Peter and Selena sit in the third row of the theater, a notepad in front of both of them. The house lights up. Jason, a 35-year-old dashingly handsome actor, stands center stage with a play in his hand and a stylish scarf around his neck. He speaks in a hear-from-the-rafters voice, perhaps not appropriate for a theater this intimate. It's not that I didn't know the broad was going to rip me off. I did. She was a dame from the wrong side of town with the right kind of looks. I knew from the moment I laid eyes on her. But if you would have seen her in that cherry red dress... Okay, Jason, good. Can you try starting at the top of the page this time and read it, you know, more straight? Just more masculine. This guy is a gangster. Uh He sleeps with a lot of women. Sure, sure. From the left wing of the stage, Percy Vincent, (laughs) mid-30s, a dark and handsome actor, snickers to himself. From the stage, Jason shoots him an annoyed glance. Percy stops and silently apologizes, looking down at his sides. Jason starts reciting the monologue again as Ian, a similar age and type to Jason, and Percy walks in. Ian taps Percy's shoulder, and Percy turns around. They talk in hushed voices. Hey, man. The two men shake hands. Hey, good to see you back out here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never left, you know? Yeah, right, right. How's it all going anyway? Great, great. Yeah, no complaints. God is good. Sure, yeah. Well, break a leg. Glad you're pounding on the pavement again, man. Percy forces a smile to Ian and goes back to his lines. Jason walks backstage, passing Ian and Percy. So professional. Fag. Fag. <laughs> Jason looks at Percy to say something in response, but Percy stays silent. Jason rolls his eyes and walks out the door. Next! Percy picks up his crutches next to the wall and walks out onto the stage on the one leg he has. Ian watches Percy use the crutches to walk with his missing limb and shakes his head from the wings. Mr. Vincent, good to see you back out on the circuit. Exterior, St. Mark's and 2nd Avenue, day. Frankie, bundled up in a scarf, hat, and obnoxiously thick winter coat, alternates between walking and running on the street, wiping her nose with her tattered mittens. Exterior, the Pearl Theater, day. Frankie rushes up to the entrance of the Pearl Theater, stopping to gaze at the marquee that reads... Tartuff, adjusting her eye makeup in the reflection of the glass in the front door, she stares back at her tired face. She slowly walks past the theater with her head down and into the donut shop next to it. Interior, donut shop day. Wearing a silly triangle paper hat, Frankie slumps behind the counter with sugar-encrusted delights gleaming behind her. Interior, donut shop later day. Frankie begrudgingly takes donut after donut from the shelf into pastry box after pastry box. Dickie, a 17-year-old goth kid, mops the floors in front of her. He looks over at Frankie and winks. Interior donut shop bathroom day. 
Frankie snorts cocaine from her hand as Dickie gulps cheap vodka from a 375-milliliter bottle. Frankie giggles as she and Dickie indulge. Dickie grabs the small bag of cocaine from Frankie as she sloppily rips the bottle of vodka out of his hands, taking a generous sip, spilling it on her shirt. Martin, 50 and wearing a name tag that says manager, kicks the door to the stall open to find his childish employees. He looks at Frankie with disgust, which is only trumped by Frankie's clear and acknowledged self-loathing. Interior, Frankie and Percy's studio apartment, night. Frankie opens her silk robe and sprays perfume into her cleavage, adjusting her breasts in the mirror of her vintage metal toaster. She runs cheap red lipstick all over her thin lips, pursing them to get it just right. Two slices of white Wonder Bread pop up in the toaster, and a large steaming bowl of spaghetti and red sauce is displayed on the kitchen counter. Frankie sets the newly toasted bread down next to four other slices of toasted bread into a chipped bread basket. Two plates, two napkins, and two forks arranged nicely sit next to it. She hears loud footsteps coming up the stairs and frantically gulps some white wine. She sets the glass down on the coffee table and kicks the old metal heater, emoting steam but no heat. Stubbing her big toe badly, she wraps herself in a Syracuse University blanket, cursing. An old, hard-bound, complete works of Shakespeare is sprawled out on the table with many bookmarks in it. The lock jiggles, and Frankie meets Percy at the door, smiling half-seductively, half-nervously. Hi, handsome. How'd the audition go? She kisses him, but he does not kiss back. It went. I'm not sure the part of the main gangster would be played by a gimp, but... Who knows? She takes his coat and bag from him, hanging them up. Well, I think he would. He's got to show that he's tough. Legless is an asset for sure. I wish he would have come with me to study tonight. Frankie pauses as she takes his scarf off. Uh, maybe next week. It'll change your life, Frankie. It will. It's changed mine. Let's just relax. We can worry about church, jobs, salvation, all that stuff next week. Hilarious. She takes Percy's hand, guiding him to the futon. Come on, drink with me, and maybe we'll get shit-faced enough to hatch a plan for me to direct you in a play again at the Pearl Theater. They're doing Richard III next year. You're an obvious shoe-in. Hungry? I really hate it when you talk to me like that. Frankie reaches the coffee table alone and picks up her wine. Which part? The very church-unfriendly swearing or the fact that I'd like to get my artistic career back and stop being the only source of income around here? No one forced you to quit directing shows. What, we're going to survive on 50 bucks a week with me directing off-off-Broadway, praying for an equity contract? I had the part. Michael Kelly on Broadway. The musical comedy murders of 1940. Frankie exercises patience and bites her tongue. I could have made enough for the both of us last year. That part was mine. And then he throws his wallet onto the futon. I know, honey. I didn't mean that. Mine. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. She hugs him. Percy wobbles on his leg, and she holds the small of his back to steady him as he leans on her. Maybe I should just give up and teach. Be a one-legged English high school teacher and Saugus or something like that. Get fat. <laughs> no, you'd be a horrible teacher. You hate children, and I prefer you not fat, so. <laughs> she gets him to smile just a little bit. I'll sling bacon and eggs as long as I have to until you get back on your f- your foot. <laughs> Frankie winces at her blunder. Percy breaks the embrace. She takes a sip of wine sitting down and pats the futon. Come here. I already packed for us tomorrow, and we're obviously not going to solve all this right now, so why don't we just sit here and enjoy each other? Frankie takes the blanket off and slips her robe down, revealing a very naughty teddy, suggestively. <sighs> we're not going upstate to see Ray now. Are you kidding? I cannot do the whole college flipbook... Remember that time we did blah blah thing? It's pathetic. Frankie, slightly humiliated, covers herself back up. 
I have a charge card. We're adults. We should be able to take a weekend trip when we want to. Well, I don't want to anymore. We have to postpone it. It's his birthday that we've missed for the past God knows how many years we're going, I promise. Well, I guess if you promised we're going, wouldn't want to disappoint Precious Ray. Shower and then come out here and have your way with me, okay? Or wait, let me shower with you. Frankie gets up from the futon to get closer to Percy, moving her hand around his groin. He stops her. He then kisses her forehead and gently pushes her waist away from him. Not tonight. Percy walks into the bathroom, shutting and locking the door. Frankie waits until she hears the water going and goes into his backpack, ruffling through it. She pulls out a handful of Jesus Saves pamphlets and rolls her eyes. She pulls out a thick Bible with many color-coded bookmarks and stares at it. Go fuck yourself. Interior, Percy's car day. Frankie and Percy drive down a secluded dirt road in the Adirondack Mountains, lined with cabins and trees. Frankie looks out the window as Percy drives, chewing her finger... Uh, chewing her finger chewing her fingernails until they bleed. Percy looks over at Frankie, who is transfixed on everything but her husband. Percy puts his hand on Frankie's leg as he makes a turn onto a long, private road. Six years? Like eight. What does he do up here all alone? Knit? <laughs> Exterior, raised cabin day. Frankie and Percy stand outside the cabin. Percy plays with the key in the lock, and Frankie looks in the window. Four cases of beer are stacked up next to the door. Hello? Maybe he forgot. Maybe he has a woman there. Percy scoffs, and Frankie moves to another window. And remember, no secret married only talk this weekend. He hates that, you know. You're my wife. We're going to talk however way we talk. Just, you know, not in front of him or whatever. We don't want him feeling excluded. From what? Our, our marriage? Yeah. Raymond, what kind of hot, plaid, panty, country strange you got in there? Open up. <laughs> Percy winces at the word strange and then adjusts his clothes in the reflection of the window. Interior Ray's cabin day. Ray stands next to the front door, extremely frail, hand on the doorknob. He closes his sunken eyes in and takes a deep breath in and out. So sickly, Ray looks much older than his 30-some-year-old body lends him. From inside, he hears Frankie and Ray bickering and smirks. What? Strange isn't the swear word? Come on, Pastor Percy. It doesn't even mean pussy. I was practically a linguist major, you know. It's what truckers say when they want to get some ass. So, ass sex, I guess. Anal sex. Butt fucking, maybe. But not pussy. We can talk about this later. He can probably hear us, you know. So? So, I don't want him giving me a hard time for... Exterior Ray's cabin continuous day. The door swings open and Ray smiles big at Frankie and Percy, who both try to hide their shock when they see him so gaunt. Hey, man. Uh, Whoa. (laughs) You've trimmed way down. You look awesome. (laughs) Happy birthday weekend. Yeah. Percy and Ray awkwardly hug each other with a half handshake. Frankie lingers back, rolling her eyes and grabbing the bags. Looks like you've lost some... Wait, too. <laughs> Ray looks down at Percy's leg. Percy walks in and Ray coughs. <coughs> I've been waiting all day for you guys. Welcome. Hi, sweetie. Frankie can't look at Ray in the eye as she walks in. Her hands full, she kisses his cheek, and as she passes him, she widens her eyes at Percy, bewildered. Ray shuts the door. Interior, Ray's cabin living room night. Empty beer bottles smatter every flat surface of the room, lining the crackling fireplace. Ray sits in a recliner, and Frankie and Percy sit on the couch, finishing up dinner on, a misma- on mismatched old pieces of chipped Syracuse china. A framed, Percy, a framed picture of Percy, Frankie, and Ray on stage in college after Hamlet sits above the fireplace. In the picture, Percy is dressed as Hamlet, Ray wears crew black, and Frankie wears a t-shirt that says, Kiss me, I'm the director. The youthful, jovial three of them smile in a post-performance triumphant 
dewy glow. And you, you with the freaking, what was that thing? It was a bike guard. Lots of people had them. <laughs> We'd be doing those vocal warm-ups in rehearsal and it would pop off and you'd start choking on it. Uncontrollable <laughs> laughter. Percy laughs, but not as hard as Frankie and Ray. Ray clutches his abdomen and winces in pain, but continues to laugh, brushing it off. Why do you think I'm not an actor anymore? I never recovered from the horror. Also, my teeth are crooked now. So oh, I... oh, you were, you were a good actor. It's, a, it's a stunning. You were glorious. Hey, shut up. I'm bigger than you now. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Shit. I mean, shoot. Uh, we don't swear anymore. Did I tell you that? I'll be... Frankie gets up and runs to the bathroom. She's fine. Period. You know. Right. I hear they go crazy when that happens. The moon or... Taking a sip of beer and studying Percy. So how the hell are you, Percy? So good. Interior raised cabin bathroom night. Frankie sits on the toilet holding her head in her hands. Oh, fuck, 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 shit, damn, fuck. Interior raised cabin living room continuous night. Uh, we were coming from a fundraiser. That's why we were a little late. No kind of fundraiser. Church. They sit awkwardly. Church. That's, that's new, huh? Well. Since, uh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not being, I, I'm just, I, I was surprised Frankie had told me, but <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. Really? <laughs> I mean, I'm not some crazy end of the world preacher. We're still both bleeding heart liberals, but it's something personal to me. Okay. Uh, you two still pen pals? Kinda. She writes me. I don't write back. Ray leans in and whispers. Okay, not to belabor the point. I, I mean, this fire and brimstone thing you're doing is all fine and good. I'm happy for you. This is America. But how is your agnostic wife handling all of this? <laughs> She's my faith. Uh, our faith is none of your business. Ah, yeah. I see. Percy opens his mouth to respond when Frankie walks in on the stale scene from the bathroom. Great. Night one, and we're already on the religion talk. <laughs> Not choosing sides, so just forget it. Frankie sits back down next to Percy, and he puts his hand on Frankie's upper thigh. Ray notices this. So, are we going to talk about it? What? what? Oh, come on. Look at me. Ask. Silence. The room turns cold as the fire hisses. Don't want to know? Fine. I have cancer. I found out about three months ago, and they gave me six to live. It's untreatable. It's over for me. The end of Ray. But I don't want to let this just slowly take me. I want to end it. With your help. This is a, a joke, right? Your stomach's never been right. I, I just thought it was due to Cones acting up again. I, I didn't want to say anything. They found it too late. No. No way. Oh, my God. I need you to help me speed up this process. Look, you... Clearly, you're not in your right state of mind. You, you have to fight, Ray. Look, I, I know what it's like to lose something, okay? I, I know what it's like to feel like you've got no options, but there are always options. This isn't a leg, Percy. It's my whole body shutting down. It's non-negotiable. I'm going to die. You losing a leg is just that. A leg. You can survive without a leg. Hey, you, you don't know that. Don't give me that. I've fought for the better part of a year just to simply get up and... What do you and... want us to do? Frankie! Don't let this facade of food and, and laughter and fun fool you, okay? I, I haven't slept more than three hours a night in two months. And, and every day I wake up, I'm disappointed I didn't just drift off in the night. This isn't a joke. I'm asking for your help. You two are the only ones. The only ones. Percy gets up and Frankie helps him steady himself. No. No, we've, we've been drinking all night. This is not... I, I, I... I'm going to bed. We can talk about this insanity in the morning. Frankie, you coming? I'm not tired. 
I'll I'll be in soon though. I try to sleep. Try and sleep well, Ray, and and just good night. He kisses Frankie romantically. A movie kiss. Too much. Uh, don't stay up too late. Percy Percy starts to walk to the bedroom, looks at Frankie, and then turns the corner, and Ray coughs. Interior, Ray's cabin, guest bedroom, night. Percy shuts the door to the bedroom and holds on to the door handle for a beat. About to open it again, when he thinks better of it and walks to the bed, he takes his shirt off, revealing a gold cross around his neck. Interior, Ray's cabin, living room, night. Ray sits on the recliner, moving his body slowly and wincing in pain. Frankie comes in from the kitchen with a mug of tea and a handful of pill bottles. She sets them down on the table next to the chair, eyeing Ray, who is rubbing his chest, his breathing labored. Interior Ray's cabin, living room, later, night. Ray dozes in his recliner, and Frankie lingers slowly by his bookshelf behind him with a glass of scotch in her hand, touching all of the hardbound classic literature like it's sacred. Chekhov, Ibsen, Shakespeare. She smiles at the Shakespeare book, but that quickly fades away. She looks back at Ray, who is now staring right at her. He motions for her to come to him, and she finishes off her glass of scotch, sets it on the bookshelf, and approaches him. He lifts his blanket up, and she delicately crawls in next to him. He wraps his arms around her, and she rests her head on his chest. She closes her eyes, and he kisses her head. Exterior, Ray's cabin, day. The sun is rising over the cabin, sunlight sparkling on the snow-caked pine trees that surround the property. Interior, Ray's cabin, guest bedroom, day. Percy turns over on his side and feels an empty bed. He opens his eyes to a vacant pillow, and he looks up at the door, and Percy gets up out of bed with a struggle, stands up, and then loses his balance. He falls back onto the bed, he takes a deep breath, and he closes his eyes. Interior, Ray's cabin, living room, day. Ray sleeps in his recliner, wrapped up in blankets as the sun dances through the windows. The fire is smoldering in embers, and Frankie sleeps on the floor next to Ray's recliner, with a makeshift bed of sofa pillows and old knitted blankets. Percy walks into the living room and stops in his tracks. Percy looks at Ray, who seems to have just the slightest smile on his sleeping face. A loud, hurried knocking at the front door snaps Percy out of it. Percy walks over to the window to try to see who is knocking. Frankie wakes up and rubs her shoulder with her eyes half closed. Who is it? No clue. You get it? It's not my house. You just get it? What happened last night? Percy lingers with Frankie one last second before he opens the door to Hetty, an 80-year-old woman... Dressed for the cold mountain winters, she holds a tray of food and an old-fashioned French press full of coffee. About time, Jesus Christ. Percy opens his mouth to speak, trying to place her. Well, this shit's getting colder and colder. Come on now. Mrs. Nichols? Percy holds the door open for Hetty as she walks in, setting the tray of coffee down on the coffee table next to Ray's chair. Hetty looks over at Ray. He hasn't been feeling well, you know. Got this bug that just won't go away. I came over here to make sure he's eating right and getting his vitamins. Frankie and Percy look at each other, and Percy approaches Hetty. Uh, Mrs. Nichols, it's Percy. You remember me? And Frankie, hi. It clicks. Oh my, look at you two! I haven't seen you since graduation. Well, come here. Let me look at you. Hetty gives Frankie a big hug, and when she gets to Percy, she isn't sure what to do, so she just keeps staring at his crutches uneasily. It's okay. I- I'm okay. Really. Don't I get a hug, too? Uh, oh, well, Percy. Hetty kisses his cheek and gives him a hug. Percy is unsteady on his foot for the hug, and Frankie organically and effortlessly links her arm behind his back for support. Grandma, let the man breathe. Frankie rushes over to Ray, Hetty too, not as fast as Frankie, leaving Percy on the other side of the room. How are you feeling? Frankie kneels next to Ray's chair. I feel like a new man. Should we eat? 
Hell yes. I got, I'll get plates. You kids stay here. It's so good to see your faces. Hetty bustles to the kitchen, and Frankie starts to clear the living room of beer bottles. Ray closes his eyes, and Percy grabs Frankie's arm and speaks quietly. You sleep well out here? All balled up? No. I just didn't want to leave him, you know? Yeah. So you left me. Are you... Are you I mean, you got up okay? Are you okay? Yeah. You kids like that hot sauce that makes a shit sting? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How come you... Don't say something about her swearing. She's old. I feel old. <laughs> Interior, raised cabin, kitchen day. Frankie washes the dishes as Hetty dries them. Frankie looks at Percy through the window, walking down the driveway in his PJs. He tries. He trips a little on a rock, and Frankie sets her plate down to go help him. Hetty grabs Frankie's arm. He'll never learn to do it without you if you keep running to help him. Frankie looks out at Percy again, who's now studied himself. I know, I just don't want him to hurt his good leg, you know? You know, when Randall came back from the war, he was different, colder, not himself. He didn't lose a limb, but he lost something. In his heart, he lost something. Oh, uh, Percy didn't go to war. He, um, we, we were in a car accident. Well, I guess a car wreck is pretty traumatic, too. Yeah, yeah, it is. All of this is very new. Who was driving? Frankie looks down and slows her wishing. No. Well, that explains it. What? You. You're a mess. Look at you. <laughs> I am? Yes. Must be exhausting. Oh, no, I'm fine. I just slept on the floor last night. Right. No, I mean, I was... I know, sweetie. I know. Ray's happy to see you both. Been talking about it all week. Well, we're happy to be here. Frankie smiles at Hetty. She pulls some of her long hair behind her ears, revealing a jagged scar in front of her ear. Hetty sets down a dish and pats Frankie's head. Exterior, the bridge, day. Ray is skipping stones, clutching the rail of the bridge overlooking a brook, his cabin in the distance. Percy slowly walks up to Ray, and neither one says anything for a long time. Is that weird? Kind of. I'm used to it now, but... Sometimes I wake up and get out of bed like I still have the other one, and it's... Well, it... How's... I mean, I'm, I'm sure Frankie... Yeah. She's been working two jobs, waiting on me hand and foot when it was, you know, bad. It is it is bad. <laughs> what am I saying? I didn't know that. I, I would have sent you guys some money. I didn't know it was that bad. Percy smiles and punches Ray's arm playfully. What money? <laughs> well, you can have whatever is left of this place once I'm gone. Sell it. Get what you can. Oh, so you're going to give me this place in return for us assisting in your suicide. Now that's a bargain. No, I would have given it to you anyway. Well, I don't... I don't buy it, man. You can put this little pity party on in front of Frankie because she's got a bigger heart than the both of us combined. The woman bursts out crying crocodile tears at those Campbell soup commercials for kids with colds, for God's sakes. <laughs> and I freaking love her for that. Friggin'? But... Does Jesus say friggin'? Is that allowed? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're doing. It's not going to work. I just wanted you to know you're not fooling me. Percy starts walking away. Let it go, Percy. He doesn't look back, keeps walking. You can stop worrying. She chose you. Ten years ago, she chose you. When she met you at the end of what aisle and grabbed that ring from my hands to put on your finger, she chose you. You think I worry about that? I would. I mean, she did give me a blowjob right before you guys got married, but... Percy turns around and punches Ray square in the jaw. And again, 
Ray grips the rail, having fallen down. His head is down and shaking, and it appears as though he might be crying. Percy approaches Ray and bends down to see if he's all right. Ray, you okay? And upon further inspection, it turns out Ray has been laughing and is now laughing a little harder through a bloody smile. (laughs) I'm still alive, so no! Punch me harder next time! Ray continues to laugh, and eventually Percy cracks a smile, too. Ray spits out blood and starts hacking. Shit. Exterior, the dirt road day. A very pissed-off Frankie in her pajamas and slippers carries an out-of-it Ray on her back with a guilty-looking Percy behind her. She walks hard and fast uphill, not looking back, and Ray smiles ever so slightly, holding on to Frankie. Uh, Ray, would you stop playing it up? It wasn't that hard, man. Really? Ray groans, and Frankie turns around. What the hell is the matter with you? You believe this whole act? His act? His act? You hit a man with cancer! I know! Percy throws one of his crutches into the woods in a silent, humiliated rage. I wish it was an act. Percy stands unsteadily on one crutch as he scavenges to see where he threw the other one. He's 90 pounds soaking wet, and you're nothing but solid muscle from the waist up. (laughs) What do you get from the waist down, hmm? How did you think that that was fair? This is so unacceptable on so many different levels. Well, he's dying anyway, isn't he? He's right. I am. Frankie scoffs. She starts back up the hill with Ray. Yeah. Make your best friend a punching bag while his organs are failing him. You're unfucking believable You know that? Oh, yeah. I swore. Hear that, Jesus? Fuck, shit, cunt, damn cunt, whore, cunt. Going to hell now. Guess I'll meet you there. <laughs> Percy, wa- <laughs> Percy watches her walk up the rest of the hill with Ray. Frankie, can you help me? She ignores him, wiping the sweat from her brow. Find my crutch. (laughs) Exterior Ray's cabin day. Frankie gets Ray up to the front door of the cabin, blood all over his shirt and face. Hetty rushes to the front door and takes Ray's other arm, leading him inside. Jesus Christ, what the hell happened? Call an ambulance. No. Interior Ray's cabin, living room, continuous day. Hetty and Frankie guide him to the recliner. Did he fall? Ray, I told you not to go to that slippery creek No, alone. no, Percy punched me in the face. Frankie looks at Hetty. I'm so sorry. I don't... Well, did you deserve it? Ray, we're calling an ambulance. Final decision. Well, did you? Did you deserve it? Yes, I deserved it. I earned this. Hetty and Frankie lower Ray to his recliner. Oh, good. That's my boy. <laughs> Frankie starts dialing the phone for the ambulance. Ray slaps the phone out of her hand, and Frankie stands there dumbfounded. No, no. No one is calling a fucking ambulance. Do you understand? That, that is not how I'm spending this weekend. If I go in there, they're not letting me out, and that's where I stay. Ray stares at Frankie. Okay, then. Well, honey, I'm gonna run to my house and grab some Epsom salts, and I'll bring up my first aid kit. I think I even have some of those cough drops you like, the the Great Bear ones, so I'll be back real soon. Okay? Hetty kisses Ray's face, grabs her keys, and walks out. I think Percy needs you down there. Where the fuck are your parents? At home? Just sitting at home while their son slowly dies alone in the wilderness? They don't know, okay? What do you think this is going to do to them when you died? That, that you didn't tell them. They can help you, you know. Trust me, it's for the best. So Grandma Nichols is just... Up here, tending to your bug while your parents sit in the dark and we're the only people who know about your horrible secret and you're ready to just kill yourself without them ever even knowing? Yes. Ray smiles. Don't. Frankie paces the floor. I, I thought you were writing a novel, why you were up here all this time, why you left the city. I am. I mean, I have been. I'm calling your mother. Well, if you would have married me, you would have, you would have that right, but you didn't, so you don't. I'm taking you to bed. Ooh. I'm gonna fucking break you in half. <laughs> she gets up angrily and Ray curls his body in pain. Oh my god. Ray. Would you I... s- just stop trying to direct everything and let it happen? No. 
<laughs> Frankie helps Ray out of the living room. Interior Ray's cabin, kitchen day. Frankie sits perched on the counter, wrapped in Ray's sweater, sipping a beer. Percy emerges from the back porch, covered in dirt and mud, with his two crutches. She doesn't turn around. Don't you think it's a little early for a... Frankie shoots him a carnivorous look. That's almost ten. He goes into the refrigerator and grabs a beer for himself. He opens it and drinks at least half of it in several gulps. He comes up behind Frankie and puts his arms around her, to which she flinches and pushes him off. Okay. Percy takes another gulp of beer. He grabs some scotch on the windowsill and unscrews the bottle and hands it to Frankie, who does not respond. He takes a swig and then coughs. <coughs> Look, I, <clears throat> I will gladly develop an alcohol problem with you if that's what it takes for you to talk to me. <laughs> Frankly, sedatedly stares out the window. You act like he's faking it or something. Like he can't stand me worrying like a crazy person about anyone but you. Frankie lets a breath out she didn't know she was holding. I can't do this anymore with you. What? If we can't help our friends, what good are we to each other? What if I had terminal cancer or was brain dead in a coma? What if I was living the rest of my life in agonizing pain without a shred of dignity? I'd want to know that you'd relieve me of that. Would you? I'd... I'd... What, pray? Percy can't answer that question. Frankie shakes her head and walks away, the sound of a door locking behind her after she exits. Percy grips the cross around his neck. Interior, Ray's cabin, bedroom day. Ray lays in bed, blood around his lips crusted over, going in and out of sleep. Frankie sits in bed with him over the covers. She tries to wipe the blood with the wet washcloth. Stop. You sure you don't want me to take you to the hospital? For what? A band-aid? <laughs> I don't know. You guys fighting? I'm not really fighting so much as just not speaking at the moment. I made him hit me. You can't make someone hit you. I told him he gave me a blowjob. Frankie gasped, smacking him. <laughs> See? I made you hit me. I can't believe you told him that. What? Well, I guess it wasn't a blowjob. It was more like actual sex, but... She hits him in the leg with the washcloth. Oh, he's already jealous enough of you as is. I don't need him knowing that we... I mean, before he and I were even together. How you like to rewrite history. Ray. Frank. Frankie. Francesca. Ray winces. Frankie takes his hand. Raymond. Why didn't you choose me? Were you up for choice? I loved you. We were kids. No. You know I loved you. I would have... I mean, I could have... But you didn't, did you? Ray lets this sit for a moment. You were never okay with me being bi. That's not true. You always thought that I was going to leave you for a man, which is not how it works, by the way. I just don't think I could have handled it if I wasn't enough for you, Ray. I just loved you too much. <laughs> You're a bigot. Just admit it. Maybe it was my mistake, though, because it's what I dream about at night. I'm escaping my crummy life. I dream about what it would have been like with you. Good. It would have been good. We, we would have been good. Don't make it worse. What about Percy? He still makes you happy? What does it even matter? I married him, so... <laughs> she looks away. So you don't deserve to be happy? I deserve to suffer indefinitely. Well, howdy-do. You're a bundle of fresh roses today, aren't you? Ray gets her to crack a smile. <laughs> Coffee. <coughs> what the hell happened to him? What do you mean what happened to him? He lost his goddamn leg. And the Jesus stuff? Frankie gets down and lays next to Ray. After the car accident, he felt like he was just, had no purpose. Uh, 
He really wasn't able to work for months on end, even now, you know. He was a goddamn leading man. He booked that part, his first part on Broadway, and I robbed him of that. He couldn't do it. He couldn't even stand up. The other leg was so badly damaged, and one day, some asshole selling the New Testament came to the door at exactly the right moment, and he started going to church almost every day. Sometimes I do just sit back and wonder... Where my husband, who used to have quickies with me in the parking lot and swear like a sailor, went. Ray puts his hand on her leg. Frankie fights her emotions. Sometimes I think he puts Jesus in between us as a way of not actually having me be close to him. Because he knows there just isn't enough room for the three of us in the same bed. Why do you need us to do this for you? Why don't you just do it yourself? Too scary. Then with my luck, I'd do it wrong. My parents would come, and they'd keep me on life support until they ran out of money. <laughs> Frankie lowers her voice. So what are you thinking? What about Percy? With his newfound church buddies, he's not going to sign up for this, and, and you know that. Yeah, but I'm here. Interior, Ray's cabin, hallway, continuous day. Percy listens with one ear against the door of Ray's bedroom. Interior, Ray's bedroom, continuous. You're sure about this? Frankie takes his head and then nods. Cake. I want you to be the one who bakes my last birthday cake. Ray looks at the many prescription pills on the nightstand. Interior, Ray's cabin, hallway, continuous day. Percy Percy gets up quickly, quietly. Interior, Ray's cabin, living room, continuous day. Percy picks up the house phone and dials zero. Yeah. Hi, I... I need an ambulance immediately. Interior raised cabin, kitchen day. Frankie stands in the kitchen covered in flour with an apron on and half a dozen cake ingredients spread out on the counter. She methodically beats the eggs, sifts the flour, and melts the butter. She pours, her s- she pours seven full bottles of painkillers into a small amount of boiling water. In a large bowl, she whips the special cake batter. Frankie pours it into the cake pan, and she puts the cake into the oven carefully and shuts the oven door. She leans against the wall and slides down to the floor. She puts her head on her knees, and suddenly Percy barrels through the kitchen door. What are you doing? Contemplating a nap? No, I mean, what are you baking? A birthday cake for Ray? Percy walks to the trash can, ruffling through it. He produces the pill bottles and throws them on the ground. Is this your idea of playing God for your little boyfriend? What God? Where is he? Do you see him? Is he hiding in that tree over there? You you are in over your head here, you know that? This is homicide. This is murder. You're going to go to you're going to ruin our lives and go to jail over this? No one's going to jail, Percy. This is not your business. See, I think it is. Percy gets down on the floor with Frankie and takes her face in his hands. Please don't do this, Frank. I am begging you. Please. Frankie looks up at Percy and then the sound of an ambulance approaching the cabin drowns out any hope of reconciliation. No. Frankie darts up quickly to the window. You didn't. You didn't do this. Frankie runs out of the kitchen towards Ray's bedroom. I had to do this. Exterior, Ray's cabin day. Ray is being taken out on a stretcher to the ambulance in the driveway by two EMTs. Frankie's by Ray's side as Percy talks with the seasoned EMT in charge, Johnny, on the front porch. He's not in good shape. Are you sure his brother? He's not in good shape. Are you his brother? Johnny scribbles onto a report on a clipboard. Uh, no, I'm his old roommate. Looks like he has pneumonia. And cancer. Cancer? And looks like he fell? His face? Uh, no, I hit him. 
Johnny stops writing and looks up at Percy. Exterior Ray's cabin, driveway, continuous day. Frankie follows the EMTs to the back of the ambulance next to Ray's stretcher. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I told you I can't go to the hospital. They'll just patch you up a bit and give you fluids and then just You didn't listen to me. The two EMTs slide Ray into the back of the ambulance. I'll be right behind you. Hetty drives up next to the ambulance as they're shutting the doors, and Hetty rolls down her windows and speaks to Frankie. What's happening? Interior hospital waiting room day. Hetty sits reading a novel, and Frankie paces the floor. A ball rolls over Frankie's foot, and she stops and picks it up. She hears clapping and looks over to a young boy with a big bandage over his left eye. She brings the ball over to him and his exhausted mother. Is this yours? The boy nods excitedly and then claps again. Frankie smiles and throws the ball gently to him, and he catches it. Thanks. Sure. What brings you here? My friend Ray. Well, I hope he feels better soon. I'll keep him in my prayers tonight. Thank you. Um, He's very sick. I don't think that he's... I'll pray for you, too. Frankie smiles and sits down next to Hetty across the room. I hate these fucking places. We're in here once a week. It feels like... Been that often? Well, he's got that bug. The bug, right. They say it's a mean one. Who the hell knows? He'll beat it yet, though. Do you think we can check him out of here by tonight? It's gonna be tricky. Hetty, I I think that Ray might... I'm gonna go get some grub. She sits up. You call Percy. You get him down here. You three should um, be together. I'll do that. Whatever happened... It, it doesn't matter. You see... Grab me a Jack Daniels from the cafeteria. Oh, you got it. Interior, Ray's cabin, bedroom day. Percy frantically goes through Ray's drawers, throwing things on the floor with no regard. He takes out the middle drawer and throws it on the floor, papers flying everywhere. He catches one of them, and it is a letter that Frankie wrote to Ray. Percy drops to his knees, searching his knee, searching for other letters, decorating the floor. His eyes scan the dozens of papers as he zones in on key phrases. Dearest Ray, my darling Ray, my love, miss you. Everything's so hard right now. Wish it were ten years ago. With all my heart, Francesca. Kisses, Francesca. Percy sits alone in the room surrounded by these letters, motionless, and the timer in the kitchen goes off. Interior Ray's cabin con- kitchen, continuous day. Percy opens the oven and reaches in with his bare hands. Oh, God. He runs to the sink and turns on the cold water, running it over his hand. He shakes his head and takes a dish, wa- a dish towel, wrapping his hand in it. With his hands wrapped in the dish towels, he takes the cake out of the oven and throws it in the sink. He takes out bleach from under the sink and pours it all over the cake, desecrating it with a knife, stuffing it down the drain. Interior, hospital, cafeteria, day. Hetty stands at a payphone just outside of the cafeteria, jingling change in her hand. She holds the phone to her ear and waits. Hello, dear. I think it's time you come down now. Interior, Ray's hospital room, day. A very cramped room at the end of the hallway. It might have been a closet some years ago in this small, rural hospital. This seemingly makeshift room brings little hope or comfort. Ray is hooked up to oxygen and has an IV in his arm. The fluorescent lights harshly flicker ever so often. Jeremy, a very sick young man curtained off from Ray, sleeps, his breathing labored. Frankie stands as far away from Ray as she can while he sleeps. She stands looking at him, unable to move her feet. She doesn't move for a few moments and then starts to almost inaudibly whisper to Ray. Why art thou yet so fair? Shall I believe that unsubstantial death is amorous? And that the lean, abhorred monster keeps thee here in dark to be his paramour? Frankie is suddenly startled by the sound of the door opening behind her. Jacqueline, a middle-aged nurse, walks in. Excuse me, sweetie. Jacqueline puts a medical face mask around her ears from her neck as she passes Frankie. Oh, 
Sorry. Uh... Jacqueline parks her small cart next to Ray's bed and checks his IV. She grabs his chart from the foot of the bed and brings it up to the cart. She takes out a pen, marking his vitals. She jots some things down on his chart and lightly taps his arm. Mr. Nichols? Mr. Nichols, do you need anything? Are you comfortable? Ray tries to swat Jacqueline's hand away, but he's too weak. He grumbles and doesn't open his eyes. Ray? She walks closer to the bed tentatively. Ray, do you need anything? Are you cold? Please leave me alone. I'm not going anywhere. He has cancer. Jacqueline looks at Frankie, then down at Ray's chart, going through several pages, then back up at Frankie. She sets his chart back on the foot of the bed and wheels the cart over to Jeremy next to Ray. The doctor will be in to see you shortly, Mr. Nichols. Thank you. Jacqueline nods to Frankie and tends to Jeremy behind the curtain. Frankie gets close to Ray's face. It wasn't me who called them. I know. That doesn't matter. I'm here. I'm going to stay here. No, you you don't have to. (laughs) I'm on so much morphine I can't feel my toes. I can't move. I'm stuck. I'm going to die here. You're not. No, you're not. Just let me sleep. Please. Ray closes his heavy eyes. You can't sleep. You have to stay awake. I'll get you coffee, but don't fall asleep. Jacqueline opens the curtain next to Ray. Coffee is not allowed. I better not see that in here. Oh, sorry. You won't. And I'm sorry to yell. I've seen worse. Trust me. Romeo and Juliet. Really. A little heavy-handed, Frank. Even for you. (laughs) For fear of that, I will stay with thee. Never from this palace. Get it? Of dim night depart again. Here, here will I remain with worms, that they are thy chambermaids. Oh, here will I set up my everlasting rest. And shake the yoke of the inauspicious stars. From this world-weird flesh. Now go, drama queen. This is bordering on saccharine sentimental. Let me sleep. I hate you. I love you. Good night. Ray closes his eyes again, surrendering to sleep. I'm just going to get some air. Frankie turns around and starts to walk out the door. Hey, don't worry. He'll wake up in a few hours. He will. And you'll be here when he does. Thank you. And uh, yes, I, I will be. Frankie walks out of the hospital room, letting out a big breath and losing all of her composure. She runs for the exit. Exterior raised cabin day. Frankie screeches up to the cabin. Interior raised cabin kitchen day. Frankie walks through the back door, setting the keys on the counter next to the strong smell of bleach. She covers her nose with her jacket and walks over to the sink to see the torn up cake. She stares at it blankly. Interior raised cabin bedroom day. Frankie walks into a room torn apart and her letters to Ray covering the floor. She gets down on her knees and touches them, surveying them. She finds a small typed piece of paper in the mess that says, Five Loves, a novel by Raymond James Nickel. Percy knocks on the door, startling her. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Frankie looks up. Hi. Hi. Listen up. Is Ray all right? No. Should we get down there? You can act like a five-year-old again? Depends. Are you going to sleep with him again? Jesus. You can go. I'm staying. He walks out of the room, and Frankie gets up to follow him. Interior raised cabin, kitchen day. Frankie follows behind Percy, who's having a hard time on his crutches because of his now burnt hand. Is that what you think I did last night? You think I had sex with Ray? He's literally not able to even support his own breath, and you think that somehow I climbed on top of him last night when you were sleeping and fucked him while you were in the other room. Maybe. Amazing. Wonderful. While you're busy figuring out those logistics, we have to get to the hospital. He's sleeping now, but the nurse says that he's going to be waking up soon. She grabs her keys and heads for the door. Why'd you write him all those letters, huh? You don't talk to me like that. This can wait. 
Please come with me. Not until you tell me about that. All of that is about. I can't talk to anybody, okay? And Ray doesn't even write me back. He never has. They're just letters. It's harmless. Love, Francesca. I love you, Ray. Francesca. What is that? I do love him. Do you love me? Frankie and Percy stand off. He starts to walk out the door. I'll meet you in the car. I'm driving. Percy takes the keys from Frankie's hands. We can't afford another accident around here. Interior hospital waiting room day. Percy walks ahead of Frankie on his way to the front desk, defiantly, when Frankie's hand touches his arm, stopping him. She takes his hand, still wrapped up in the dirty towel from the burn, and she unwraps it. Percy tries to rip his hand away, rolling his eyes. Frankie takes his hand, examining it. Frankie removes her scarf and wraps it around his hand instead, throwing away the dirty towel. Percy walks again toward the front desk when Frankie's hand stops his arm once again. He turns around, annoyed, opening his mouth to speak. Shh. Frankie covers his mouth and points to the other side of the room where Carol and Bob Nichols, both in their early 60s, stand sipping water from paper cups. Oh, no. (laughs) Frankie and Percy both turn around as casually as possible. Frankie grabs Percy's jacket and pulls him in close while walking outside of the hospital inconspicuously. Exterior hospital entrance day. Frankie is still gripping Percy's jacket when Percy pries her hands off it. What do we do? What do you mean? We, We obviously say hello or something. They don't know. Don't know what? Ray told me that they don't know about the cancer. What? You called them, didn't you? I did not call them. The hospital probably did. I just don't know what to say to them. We can't talk about his suicide attempt. They'll flip out being the Jesus freaks they are. We don't need that. Freaks? Sorry, but it's true. We can't have that admission on top of everything else. They won't be able to take it. (laughs) I'm not a freak. You know, we... They hate me. That was only when they thought you'd be their (laughs) daughter-in-law. It's not my fault Ray told them that that's what was going to happen in college. It's not. Well, it looks like you would have been sh- <clears throat> you would have been shorted any wow. Well, it looks like you would have been shorted anyhow with either of us. Cancer boy and a cripple. A fine bunch. You should have married Ray. Frankie flashes a nice fake smile and walks back into the hospital. Percy walks slowly behind her. I'm not ruling it out for the future, honey. <laughs> Interior, Ray's hospital room day. Ray lays motionless in his room. He looks over at the sleeping Jeremy and scoffs. His gaze moves over to the window, and he stares at a tree and watches a bird fly onto the branch with the worm. Ray closes his eyes and smiles just slightly. He takes in a big breath, not affected by the sickness, full and deep, and he lets it out peacefully. Percy trudges into the room with a ruckus, pushing the door with one of his crutches, doing his best with his busted hand. You're not dead. I saw you breathe. Ah, damn it. You're right. I mean, darn it. Consarn it. Dagnabbit? <laughs> you picked a really good time to die, you know that? Uh-oh. You get my wife involved with something like that again, and... And what? I... You'll kill me? <laughs> Stop guilting her into thinking that she needs to help you, Ray. Right. That would be wrong. Oh, by the way, your parents are here. (laughs) Interior hospital waiting room day. Bob and Carol stand with Frankie by the water cooler. Percy walks into the back of the waiting room and spots Frankie with the couple. And Frankie sees Percy Percy and not so nonchalantly motions for him to come save her. Percy smiles and waves. And the city? Uh, The city's great. It's great. I... We love it. Well, that's just wonderful for you two. Frankie forces a smile to Bob and glances over at Percy, who's taking his time talking to a young candy striper. Oh, there he is. Percy, come say hi to Bob and Carol. Percy looks over to the group and starts to walk over. Bye, happy striping. Walking up toward Bob, Carol, and Frankie, Percy feels the unending glare of Bob and Carol as they stare at his missing leg. Hi, Bob. (laughs) Percy goes to shake Bob's hand, but it's wrapped in Frankie's scarf, so he uses his left hand. Carol. Percy hugs Carol. Are you okay? 
Me? Uh, yeah, I'm great. You know, we didn't know. It's really not a big deal. Percy glares at Frankie. I, I mean, it is. Well, it, it is a big deal, but we're dealing with it. Just like we're dealing with Ray and this deal. Carol looks down. Bob puts his arm around her. So, what's the plan of action? Action? Yeah, what are your plans? I assume you're staying at the cabin. Will you be here in the hospital long? Have you thought about alternative treatments? Carol chokes up and rushes away from the group toward the bathrooms. Frankie lightly shakes her head in disapproval at Percy, then turns around after the running Carol. Sorry, Bob. The priest will be here soon. I see. Bob leads into Percy. To be clear, we don't condone what's happened, and are only here because I don't want to break my mother's heart. His soul will not be saved, but... Carol wanted to make sure we had a priest. It's, it's harder for women. His soul? We haven't seen Ray in over four years, and he's a stranger to us and all he's become. I'm sorry, I don't follow. Pray for him, Percy. Please pray for his salvation. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> I've been going to church lately. Uh, if you would like to do a prayer together or, well, if you that, need... That won't be necessary. Percy nods, and Bob pats Percy's shoulder, and Bob walks away. Bob? He turns around. There's something you should know. Interior, hospital hallway, day. Frankie stands outside the bathroom, pacing. Carol, um, do you want to see Ray now? I'm sure he'd love to see you. Interior, hospital, bathroom, continuous day. Carol kneels by the sink with the door locked behind her in a praying position. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Carol crosses herself and rocks herself back and forth. Interior, Ray's hospital room day. Hetty sits next to Ray's bed, holding Ray's hand and reading the paper as he sleeps. Amy, early 20s, sits next to Jeremy wearing a doctor's face mask and gloves. Amy strokes Jeremy's hand as he sleeps, and Hetty looks over at Amy and half smiles at her. Amy doesn't smile back, and Amy leans in quietly and speaks. You know, not wearing any protection puts all of us at risk. Why don't you mind your own business, sweetheart? Amy ignores Hetty. Hetty looks up at Ray's thin face and then takes an ice cream, an ice cube from the top of the table and runs it over his cracked lips. She kisses Ray's hand. Interior hospital waiting room night. Percy sits staring straight ahead in a chair as Frankie paces the floor next to him, unable to keep still. Bob sits across from Percy, reading the Bible. Carol sits next to Bob, blatantly staring at Percy's one leg, and Dr. Romanek walks in. Is the family of Raymond Nichols here? Frankie looks over at Bob and Carol, who do not claim Ray right away. Frankie nudges Percy. Uh, yeah, that's us. All of us. Hello, Doctor. Percy stands up, and Frankie comes in close, concerned. So... Dr. Romanek looks at the group. Um, Raymond will be here for the foreseeable future. He is weakened from the pneumonia, and we can't take any chances on his already compromised health. Thank you, Doctor. But if we could take care of him at home so he's comfortable he would rather be there that's not an option we don't mind us hetty we can do it around the clock dr romanek looks at bob who shakes his head i'm sorry he isn't leaving but percy grabs her arm i suggest you all get some rest dr romanek walks away and frankie breaks away from percy interior hospital hallway night frankie runs after dr romanek excuse me doctor uh dr romanek turns around yes as i understand it Ray's dying, and he doesn't want to die here. He can't. Why can't you just let him come home and be comfortable in his bed with me? 
I'm sorry, but that's really for the family to decide. He gives her a half smile and pats on the arm, then turns around to leave. I'm family. More than them out there. He continues to walk away. Uh, Look, I get it. But they don't know him. He doesn't want this. How would you feel if someone did this to you against your will? Dr. Romanek stops but does not turn around. I would want to be home as well. It's not that I don't agree with you. But... He turns around and gets closer to Frankie. Please. Please. I promised him. I promised him. He tried to take his own life. His parents put him on psychiatric hold, which will last for at least three days. Oh, he doesn't have that long. There's nothing I can do. I'm sorry. Frankie stands alone in the hall as Dr. Romanik walks away, each step making a bigger echo as she watches him depart. Exterior hospital entrance night. Frankie leans against the outside brick wall, smoking a cigarette and drinking from a weathered flask. She shivers from the cold air and bends down to zip up her coat. Frankie looks at the flask, turning it over. On the back, etched in with a knife, it reads, Percy loves Frankie. She thumbs the words. She takes a big gulp, and she coughs, wiping her mouth, taking another drag of the cigarette. She replaces the flask into her coat, and Percy comes into focus, standing behind Frankie. You ready to go? Frankie throws her cigarette onto the curb. No. No, I'm not. Well, let's at least get some food in you. Oh, right, because I'm such an alcoholic. Gotta sop up that liquor somehow, right? (laughs) I didn't say that. Gotta go take care of Frankie, your sloppy, inconsiderate, ungodly wife. Calm down. You're putting words in my mouth. You know, anyone, anyone would drink in my situation. Do you know how long it's been since we fucked? Stop. 16 months. I can't talk to you when you're like this. And four days. I'm not inebriated. I'm totally fine. I'm just telling you the facts. Maybe we should just get you home. Come on now. Percy guides her away from the hospital, and they walk slowly away from the hospital entrance toward the parking lot. Exterior parking lot, continuous night. Percy tries to follow behind Frankie, who's aimless. I need to feel something. Other than this, I need to feel something. I can't do this right now, Frankie. You haven't even let me look at it since the accident. Stop. Please, stop this. I asked the doctor, you know. I know everything's working fine down there. He said as much. You did what? It's not a question of that, so it has to be me. It has to be me. You don't want to have sex with me. You can't. That's not true. Oh, yeah? Then come on, right now. Fuck me here. Fuck me now. Fuck me right now and prove me wrong. Frankie positions herself in front of him, offering herself. I can't. You can't? Or you won't. If you would come with me to church, you would understand. Why couldn't you have just been normal and gone to therapy? Or gone addicted to crack? I mean, Christ. I I go there because I can't talk to you. Please. You can talk to me. I've tried and I've tried to get you to just speak about it. Every time I try to talk to you about the accident, you tear up and melt into a puddle on the floor. I need... People, I need to talk to people that are willing to listen, and, and, and I don't like to make you feel bad about it. I know how much it hurts you. Should it's- have been me. That's why. I mean, I could have gone my whole career without a leg. You, the actor, it's like a cruel joke. Yeah. Directors don't need legs now. It's not exactly a desk job. <laughs> Frankie stops and looks at Percy. You were beautiful once, you know. You were perfect. I killed that. She touches Percy's face. He wobbles. Frankie holds him in tighter. Frankie kisses Percy passionately. Percy grabs her waist as they entangle themselves. Stop going to church, please. I can't. Do it for me. I can't. Frankie pulls herself away from Percy. When did you become such a narc, anyway? 
What happened with Ray and I was between us. I was his lifeline. I was all he had, the only one who could end this. And now, look at you, siding with Bob the monster. You told them the one thing I begged you to keep quiet about. Just stop. It was the right thing to do. We do not play God. We do not make these decisions. No more of this. We're going to go back in there, get you some coffee, and say our goodbyes. And then that's it. We'll go back to the city tonight, and that has to be it. It's sad. I know you're sad, but that's the best we can do, Frank. And and you're going to have to be okay with it. Frankie brushes past Percy on her way back into the hospital. Frankie. Frankie does not look back and keeps walking briskly toward the hospital. Interior hospital hallway, night. Father O'Leary turns the corner into the hallway, gripping a Bible close to his chest. Interior hospital waiting room, night. George, 28, saunters through the doors from the outside into the waiting room. And George wears a sparkly scarf and brightly knitted fingerless gloves. His lip gloss shines under the fluorescent lights as he looks over to Hetty, who sits in a chair by the front desk. He nods at Hetty. Hetty waves back at him kindly, and as he gets further inside, George is clearly displeased with displeased with the hospital's choice of wallpaper. (laughs) Interior Ray's hospital room night. George marches into the room, adjusting his scarf. Carol, sitting on a chair next to Ray's bed, looks over at George. Ray goes in and out of lucidity. Bob nods off in a chair in the corner, and both Carol and Bob wear medical face masks over their mouths. Hi. Hello. Amy opens the curtain to the other bed where Jeremy is and opens her arms to George, her eyes flooding with tears. Well, fuck me sideways on a Tuesday. It's depressing in here, isn't it? <laughs> George hugs Amy. Amy closes the curtain and her and George stand over Jeremy's bed. Carol can't help but hear their conversation. How's our boy? Not good. <sighs> so angry at him. I like, punched him in his stupid face. Carol looks at Ray's bruised, punched face. Behind the curtain... I'm just... Glad you're here. Amy and George sit next to Jeremy. Oh, take that thing off your face. You look ridiculous. Amy doesn't take the mask off, so George does it for her. I'm scared, and your lipstick doesn't match your skin tone at all. How is it that I slept with half of the metropolitan area, and I'm perfectly healthy, and Jeremy has one boyfriend for two years, and he's laying here with this fucking AIDS shit? I can't do this like this. He's not him. Yes, you can. And you will, because we're all he's got. It's just so unfair. I guess they lump all of them together here, like quarantined or something. They said we can't take him back to the city. It's too risky. <sighs> Only Jeremy would fall ill in the mountains on a ski trip in the middle of nowhere. Maybe it's good. He always liked nature. Maybe this is what he wanted. Maybe, maybe he knew this was going to happen. In front of the curtain, Carol thumbs through Ray's chart. It reads, autoimmune deficiency syndrome. She takes a pen out of her purse and starts to scribble out the words, lightly at, fo- at first, then with more force. Bob stands and pulls his pants up. He takes the chart from Carol and replaces it to Ray's bed. Ray opens his eyes and looks up at his father. Hi, Dad. Hello, son. Carol comes to her son's side, and she pulls her mask down. How do you feel? Ugh, I want to go home. Ray, Ray weakly reaches for his father's hand, and Bob shifts his hand away from Ray as if he's suddenly been touched by fire. Not gonna happen sweetheart they can make you better here he's not getting better carol and you know that he's got the goddamn plague carol replaces her mask if i'm not gonna get better then why not let me go home what do you care Bob? you've made your choices son harsh punishment is the highest form of insecurity i'll go fetch your grandmother bob walks away from the bed mom mom please carol takes ray's hand Raymond, try to rest. Bob opens the door. Hey, Dad. What? Why do you hate me so much? I don't hate you, son. 
I hate what you've become because it's killed you like I knew it would. Bob walks out of the room, the door slamming behind him. Hey, Dad, I'm not. I'm not. Daddy. Ray stops himself and suddenly laughs loudly. (laughs) Mom, you don't. You don't think I'm laying here dying now because I'm some kind of dangerous queer, do you? Raymond, please. Answer me! Carol gasps, startled. (laughs) This is what I get. No choices because of my choices. Calm down now, please. We don't want to bother anyone. I see. So so God's punishing me, huh? Carol does not respond. Huh? (sighs) Perhaps if you would have married Frankie like you planned. Oh, trust me. Trust me. I wanted to... I wanted a lot of things that I never got. He turns on his side toward Jeremy's bed. I need to see Percy. Find him. Now. George opens the curtain to Jeremy's side of the room. He makes eye contact with Ray, and Carol stands helpless. Interior hospital cafeteria night. Frankie sits at a table by herself sipping black coffee. An orderly sits behind her eating a late meal. The young candy striper walks in and toward the orderly. She smiles big at the orderly waving. As the candy striper passes Frankie's table, Frankie puts her foot out, tripping her. The candy striper misses a few steps and looks back at Frankie, expectedly miffed. Frankie stares deep into her coffee, acknowledging nothing. Percy rushes back into the cafeteria, out of breath, and he and Frankie lock eyes. Interior, Ray's hospital room night. Hetty sits at the end of Ray's bed. Carol stands at the head of the bed, Father O'Leary flanking the other side, holding his rosary and Bible. Bob stands at the door. Carol, Father O'Leary, and Bob all wear masks. And Jacqueline checks Jeremy's vitals as Amy and George eat vending machine potato chips sitting on the window pane, curtain open. My dear son, we've gathered here today to pray for your salvation. Frankie and Percy lumber in. Oh, hi. Gosh, sorry. Are we interrupting? Uh, I guess no, not at all. Showed up? What's going on? Carol looks down. This is Father O'Leary. Apparently God loves me. Frankie looks around. Really? Yep. Well, what about Buddha? I think you pissed Buddha off eating all that beef. Oh, oh, you being penis? Oh, yum. <laughs> uh, we're here, Ray. I still have my sight, Percy. Percy shifts uncomfortably as silence takes over the room. Would you like to begin a prayer? Frankie snickers. Percy nudges her. I'm sorry. Is something funny? Frankie looks over at Ray, who's smiling at her. Uh, Frank. Yes. Actually, this is a goddamn fucking joke. Since when have you ever known Ray to be religious? Why are you here for them? Certainly not for Ray. In fact, why are any of us here? We should be at the cabin. That's certainly quite enough, young lady. I'm so sorry about her, Bob. Please, we just want to bury our son. Your son isn't dead. Hi. Get out of here. I'll call security. This this is a family matter. Fine, have it your way. Frankie turns around and starts walking toward the door. <clears throat> Percy begins to follow her. Catch you guys on the flip side. <laughs> Frankie turns around and looks at Ray, and she pushes past Percy and Bob and passionately kisses Ray's lips. Ray kisses back, and she gets up and glares at Bob. You know what I don't understand? Why anyone would abandon their own son. He needed you, and you're only now just coming to him? Really only to say goodbye. I just don't understand what kind of parent does that to their child with cancer. Amy and George look at each other. Cancer. You really don't know, do you? That you're shitty people? Well, I've known that for a while, so... Bob approaches Frankie and takes a pamphlet out of his jacket pocket, handing it to her. It is entitled Living with AIDS. Frankie stares at it. 
please, this is no one else's business, Bob. Percy takes the pamphlet away from Frankie and looks at the descriptive pictures inside. His eyes are drawn to the paragraph about homosexuality. Frankie looks up at Bob, Carol, and the priest. You think this changes something? Just let us be. I don't care what he's sick with. I care that he's sick. Percy wipes his hands on his pants as if they are dirty. You have no idea how hard it's been. I'm sorry, Carol, but I don't think it's so hard on you that you had to force him to find a god he doesn't believe in, and I never will. Percy puts his hand. Puts he, Percy puts his head in his hand. Bob takes Frankie by the shoulders forcibly and pushes her out the door. Interior hospital night. Bob pushes Frankie out of Ray's room, taking his mask on. Get out. Percy comes up behind Bob. Hey. Invest in a muzzle for this one, Percy. It'll, it'll do you good. Jacqueline follows him out the room. I can show the two of you out. Frankie paces the hall ahead of them in a silent rage. Bob takes Percy's side and talks quietly. I know you understand, Percy. This, this disease, it's, it's a sin. You're a man of faith. We're broken to pieces. He, he's our only child. He, he's my boy. Bob trails off. Percy nods. Bob's, Bob takes Percy's hand. He stoically tries to hold back any kind of emotion. The singular thing that has gotten us through this uncertain life is prayer and, and our belief in Jesus Christ. Percy, I'm an educated man. I know how this looks, but if I will give up on my beliefs now, I will have nothing left inside of me to live for after Ray, after he's gone. You see, I, I'm not... I'm not a monster. I'm... I'm just trying to protect myself and my wife. We don't know how to do it any other way. Percy looks up the hall to his spastic wife, then looks over at Jacqueline, who gives him a sympathetic smile. Percy tightens his grip on Bob's hand. I understand that he's your son, and I can't imagine what you're going through. He pulls Bob in closer. But if you ever touch my wife like that again, I'll use the one good leg I have left and I'll kick you until you're dead. Peace be with you. Bob pulls away from Percy, and Percy walks away strongly. Interior, Ray's hospital room night. The lights have been turned dim in the room, and Father O'Leary stands over Ray's bed, holding rosary beads, praying very quietly. Ray glances over at the comatose Jeremy and closes his eyes slowly. He takes a deep breath. He opens his eyes again, this time wide, and focuses on sounds of various machines hooked up to him. Beep, beep, breath. Beep, beep, breath. Exterior, Burger King parking lot night. Frankie and Percy sit with burgers on the trunk of their car. Frankie looks out at the mountains in the distance, not touching her food. Percy breathes in the fresh air. He takes a bite of the burger. He looks at Frankie, offering her a bite of the burger, and she takes it. Interior, Ray's hospital room night. Carol and Hetty kiss Ray goodnight. Ray's in a morphine-induced half-sleep, and Bob stands a few steps back, watching. Carol and Bob slowly walk out the door, but Hetty lingers, staring lovingly at her grandson. Interior hospital hallway night. Carol walks away in a daze away from Ray's room, clutching her Bible. She aimlessly meanders through the hallway maze, and Bob catches up to her and takes her by the shoulder to guide her in the right direction. Carol turns around and screams at him. She pounds her hands on his chest, and he moves back, bewildered. Overcome with tears, she turns around without her husband and starts walking away from him. Bob stands in the middle of the hallway, alone between his son's door and Carol, who continues to slowly make more and more space between them. Carol drops her Bible and keeps walking. Exterior Burger King parking lot night. Percy opens the door to the driver's side of their car, with Frankie still sitting on the trunk. Frankie looks down at an unappetizing pile of soggy french fries and ketchup on the bag next to her. We're gonna get you out. What? 
Frankie turns around to Percy. Are you in or out? Percy stares at Frankie from across the car. Interior Ray's hospital room night. Ray stands at the dark ceiling. Interior hospital waiting room night. Frankie walks through the double doors into her waiting room alone. She puts her hood up with her hands in her pockets, avoiding eye contact with the front desk receptionist, who does not notice her anyhow. Frankie opens the door to the stairs and disappears. The front door stays untouched, desolate. Suddenly and coolly, rounding a corner, Percy kicks the double doors open with his leg, and the front door receptionist looks up at him. Percy nods and she nods back, marveling at his strength. Interior hospital hallway ICU night. Frankie and Percy walk in sync with each other down a brightly lit hallway. Frankie glances over to a room with a sleeping old woman in it, and an empty wheelchair sits outside of her room. Without stopping, Frankie unlocks the wheelchair wheels and starts pushing it forward. Percy hops into the chair without missing a beat, holding his crutches on his lap, and Nurse Kettleman, a gray-haired and portly woman, walks behind and Percy with walks behind Frankie and Percy with discerning eyes. Percy slumps his head back just a little to look like he's in pain as Frankie continues to push him down the hall. Frankie pushes Percy into an elevator to find Dr. Gaiman, who looks at the two of them, neither one of them making eye contact. Two. Four. <laughs> Interior hospital hallway night. Frankie pushes Percy past Ray's room. Percy gets out of the wheelchair and onto the crutches, and Percy takes the scarf Frankie gave him for his burnt hand off it and wraps it around Frankie's neck, covering her nose and mouth. Frankie looks up at Percy, then loosens the scarf away from her face, letting the scarf rest at her neck, turning around to walk to Ray's room. Walking to the end of the hall and hugging the corner, Percy looks in both directions. He nods at Frankie at the other end of the hall, and Frankie opens Ray's door, pushing the wheelchair in front of her. Interior race, hospital room night. Frankie takes off her coat, revealing another coat underneath. She takes off the second coat and fixes it around Ray's weak body. Frankie glances over at Jeremy alone and hooked up to machines. Interior hospital hallway night. Percy glances down the empty hallway. He throws his crutches into a supply closet, balancing with great concentration on one foot. Interior race, hospital room night. Frankie lifts Ray out of his bed as quietly as she can, forgetting to unhook his IV. Fuck. Frankie gently pulls it out of Ray's arm and Ray opens his eyes. Oh, sorry, sorry. Shit, fuck, fuck, damn. Ray puts his hand around Frankie's arm. <laughs> Rock and roll. Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Interior hospital hallway night. Frankie pushes Ray out of his hospital room, shrouded in an oversized coat, hospital gown, socks, and no pants. Frankie spots Percy, and they make eye contact. Someone taps on Frankie's shoulder. She turns around, expecting the worst, and finds George and Amy holding a cafeteria food feast. He's going to need pants if this is going to work. And shoes. Mm-hmm. Percy glances <laughs> nervously to the left and sees Dr. Green walking toward them. Percy looks at Frankie, talking with George and Amy, at the end of the hall. Panicked, he looks back at Dr. Green getting closer and back at Frankie. Come on, come on. Looking back at the approaching Dr. Green, Percy falls to the ground. He takes a Burger King ketchup packet out of his jean pocket and spreads it all over his face. Oh, God! Frankie's eyes start to the horizontal Percy. He mouths to her, go! Dr. Green rushes to Percy's side. Are you all right? Uh, I, I, I lost my leg. I don't know where it went. <laughs> Interior hospital stairway night. Frankie impatiently waits with Ray, who's dozing off. At the door, she peeks out of it to see Nurse Kettleman lumbering down the hall with a chart. Frustrated, she closes the door as quietly as she can, and Frankie looks down at Ray, small and sick. She holds back tears and then kneels down in front of him, smiling, gently touching his face to wake him. Hi. Frankie delicately fixes Amy's pants on Ray's leg. Hi, beautiful. Can you walk? Nope. Alrighty, right? Interior hospital stairway later night. Ray, now adorned in George's shoes, Amy's pants, and Frankie's jacket, all too big, is carried by Frankie down the concrete stairs very slowly. Frankie gets to the bottom and sets Ray down gently against the wall. One second, one second. Frankie runs up the stairs and grabs the wheelchair. She bumps it down each chair, careful not to make too much noise. Out of breath, Frankie helps Ray into the chair. He locks eyes with her. 
frightened. Interior hospital waiting room night. Frankie pushes Ray through the close and empty waiting room, glancing over at the preoccupied front desk receptionist. Gracefully, Frankie pulls Ray up out of the chair, leaving it behind them, and Ray somehow puts one foot in front of the other with the help of Frankie's unwavering arm support. They approach the front door exit. Hey. Frankie stops but doesn't look back. You can't do that. A beat, Ray turns around sternly. We were here visiting a friend. He died and we're leaving. Is that all right with you? Silence. Frankie squeezes Ray's hand. Well, those wheelchairs aren't toys, you know? Sorry. Have a blessed night. (laughs) (laughs) Frankie and Ray walk out of the hospital. Exterior hospital entrance night. Frankie and Ray turn a corner away from the discerning windows and Ray collapses. Giddy up, partner. She fixes Ray on her back. We're almost home. Frankie labors with Ray on her back toward the darkness. Interior Ray's hospital room night. A masked nurse, Kaiser, walks into Ray's dark room and walks over to Ray's bed. She picks up the chart and checks his IV bag. The sheet is pulled over Ray's head, positioned on his side, and George tries to be as lifeless as possible. Nurse Kaiser takes George's pulse, watching her wristwatch, impressed with the fervor of the pulse, and sets his arm down. She walks over to Jeremy's bed, opening the curtain, and Amy smiles at her, waving, wearing George's pants. Nurse Kaiser goes through Jeremy's chart and takes his pulse. She furrows her brow. Is something wrong? Nurse Kaiser sets Jeremy's hand down slowly. Are his parents close? No, they're not. Oh, I would start making arrangements. Soon, dear. George takes the news in from Ray's old bed. Interior, Percy's car night. Frankie circles the perimeter of the hospital with her lights off slowly. It's been almost an hour. Where is he? It's possible they're taking him to the psych ward. Don't say that. We have about seven hours until sunup. Yeah? And? And not too long after that, that's when my parents will realize I'm not at the hospital and come directly to the cabin to bring me back here. That's perfectly fine. We have seven hours. That's a lifetime. Frankie parks the car next to the dark alley. Why'd you lie to us about the cancer, Ray? I didn't... I didn't want you to not want to see me. Everyone's afraid they're going to catch it. I'm not. You should be. (laughs) Frankie kisses Ray's lips, and he kindly stops her. Do you know how you got it? Not by doing that. Still living on the edge, I see. You know me. (laughs) Yeah, I do. And you need to stop with this death wish, devil-may-care shit. I appreciate all you're doing for me, but if you were to get what I have, I don't... I don't... I don't even know what I would... I won't. I promise. Ray coughs... Frankie takes a long pause. What? I mean, uh, what were some of the first symptoms you had? Mostly I just didn't feel right. I, I, I knew I had it before I went in and from everything they've been saying on the news about it. Were you throwing up a lot? Yes. Why? Are you? Sometimes. Then lay off the fucking booze for Christ's sakes. Your eyes are puffy. Your hands shake when you don't have a drink in your hand. You're in trouble. Don't think I didn't notice that. Whatever. It's been a stressful weekend. I'm allowed to take off the edge. All I'm saying is you need to be more careful. How do you think I got sick? Sure as hell wasn't sober. I was reckless. I did reckless things. Stop it, Ray. My own father won't touch me, Frank. My mother's terrified she might breathe it into her lungs somehow. Half our friends in New York are dead or dying alone. And you, you're screwing it all up. Throwing it away. Percy suddenly emerges from a side door with the wooden hospital-grade crutches moving fast toward Frankie's car. Oh, there he is. Frankie starts the car and opens the back door, reaching back in. Percy jumps in. Go! All right, all right. Suddenly we have no time. We We don't. don't. (laughs) They wanted to keep me overnight. We gotta get out of here. You're a saint. Frankie jerks the wheel and swerves out of the parking lot onto the exit road out of the hospital. Shoot. I mean, 
fuck. Are, are you are you drunk? Shit face. Ray holds his hand up to Percy before he can object as Frankie drives them away. Interior Ray's cabin kitchen night. Frankie and Percy soberly stare at seven empty pill bottles on the floor and the desecrated cake in the sink. That was all we had. We can get more? Frankie looks up at the clock. At one o'clock in the morning? When do you think drug dealers work? There's other ways. Percy and Frankie look at Ray, who sits slumped at the kitchen table. Interior, Ray's cabin, bedroom night. Ray sits propped up in his bed with pillows as Frankie picks up the scattered writings on his floor from Percy's anger-fueled episodes earlier. Frankie delicately goes through the papers on her knees, trying to give an order to them. She takes her time, thumbing through the memories. Ray closes his eyes. She stacks the papers in front of her, picking them up. The front paper glares back at her. Five Loves, a novel by Raymond James Nichols. She looks back at Ray, in and out of consciousness. Her eyes are then drawn to Ray's dresser. Interior, Ray's cabin, kitchen, night. Percy rummages through the cabinets. He finds a butcher's knife, holds it, shudders, and puts it away. He then finds a plastic grocer's bag. He holds it up, inspecting it. Interior, Ray's cabin, bedroom, night. Frankie frantically goes through Ray's dresser, leaving no drawer unturned. Coming up with nothing but socks, she stares at Ray's bedstand drawer. Ray smacks his lips in the after-effects of a morphine-induced slumber. Frankie kneels, Frankie kneels at Ray's bedside as she opens his bedstand drawer. She quietly goes through old pictures. Percy and Ray on the soccer field at college. Percy and Ray drinking beers at the pub. Frankie and Percy kissing atop a mountain on a summer's day. Frankie finds herself smiling. She turns over the last picture and written in ink it reads, My darlings. Frankie looks at Ray, sleeping. She replaces the photos into the drawer when underneath an old stack of index cards for learning the Spanish language, she delicately undoes the rubber band, looking up at the sleeping Ray. The first letter reads, My love, Percy, I wish you'd respond to my letters. While I understand your distance, it still hurts nonetheless. I'm sorry for everything. Frankie stops herself abruptly, befuddled. She looks up at Ray's with she looks up at Ray with his eyes closed. She then hungrily goes through the letters in front of her, enraged. I can still feel your warm skin next to mine, the way your chest rises and falls with the same rhythm of your heart. Frankie stops herself again, absolutely gutted. She gets up quickly, letters in hand. She looks at Ray and replaces the unmailed letters to the bedstand drawer guiltily. Interior Ray's cabin, kitchen night. Frankie walks into the kitchen to find Percy drinking a beer, fingers drumming on the plastic bag sitting at the table. Frankie touches the bag. So this is what it comes down to, huh? It's the most humane way out of all of our options, and he can do it himself. With us there, he'll be able to, he'll be the one in control of it. He can poke a hole in it if he decides against it. We won't be culpable. I don't know if I can just watch him suffer and not do anything. Are you having second thoughts? Are you? Are you? I'm okay with this if you are. Same. Silence. Percy gets up from the table to go to the fridge. Isn't this what you wanted? Well, it's what Ray wants. Ray doesn't know what he wants. Did... Frankie searches for words. Did... Do you love... me? Anymore? Percy grabs another beer, not looking at her. Of course. Look at me when you say that. Percy looks her in the eyes, placating her. I love you, Francesca. Frankie walks toward him by the fridge. I need you to forgive me, Percy. Percy's at a loss for words. Not knowing exactly what to do or say, he gives Frankie a peck kiss on the head, not setting his beer down. Percy, I need you to forgive me. He pushes away from the fridge and Frankie. It's really unfair, you know. It wasn't my fault. That guy hit us out of nowhere. It doesn't matter whose fault it was. 
Fault being dealt isn't going to get me my leg, my career, or my dignity back. So what? We're, we're going to kill our best friend and get out of here and file for divorce tomorrow? Is that what you want? Because I can't live like this anymore. Interior, Ray's cabin, bedroom, continuous night. Ray listens to Percy and Frankie fighting in the kitchen. Interior, Ray's cabin, continuous night. Frankie paces the kitchen, livid and ready to eviscerate while Percy yells. Percy's voice is not meant for yelling. It's almost as if he doesn't know how to actually do it. It sounds unsteady, cracking. This might very well be the first time Percy has ever raised his voice like this. You know, it's really too bad Ray is dying because I... I think we all would have just been a lot happier if you would have just married him. You sure you don't have those names mixed up, what huh? What are you talking about? Why? Why didn't you tell me? After all of this, you couldn't tell me? That's why you didn't want to come up here? That's why you've been so fucking weird? Percy stays silent. Frankie turns to Percy. You and Ray? I... I am such a fool this whole time. Jesus. Listen. I can't. It's not what you think. See? I think it is. Are you more upset that your beloved husband fucked a guy once a long time ago? Or that you're not the center of Ray's universe like you thought? That's what you live for, right? It's more distressing to you that this whole time it's been me, the one he wants, right? Stung and astounded, Frankie's voice barely registers sound. I saw the letters. It sounds like he's in love with you. I love you both. They look up at Ray, standing in the hallway in his bathrobe, clutching the wall. Frankie is caught in between them. I don't know who either of you are, do I? Frankie. How could you do this to me? Frankie runs to the back door, grabbing a bottle of whiskey from the bar set up on the counter, slamming it. Frankie! Percy starts to go after her. Let her... just... let her... Exterior, Ray's cabin, backyard, a snowbank, night. Frankie runs to the farthest part of the backyard, facing the woods, and collapses onto her knees behind a pile of snow. She fights off her tears, looking back at the house. She wipes her nose, shivering without a jacket, slowly breaking into a deep, guttural sob, her cries getting lost in the vast and thick forest. Interior, Ray's cabin, living room, night. Percy lays on the couch, while Ray sits on the recliner, wrapped in a blanket. It's very psychiatrist patient. Long pause. I don't even know if we should have even gotten married, to be honest. I remember that morning. That morning she came knocking on my door, flashing a ring in my face, squealing with utter girlish delight. It was the morning after you and I had... I I didn't know who I was or what I was doing. One minute we're running lines, the next we're in bed. It felt right. I don't regret it, Ray. I, I need you to know that. I'm not gay, but I, I, I don't regret that it happened with you. Not that I thought you would ever tell her, but this unfolding the way it has now, she knows in the worst possible way, and she feels like her entire life is built on a lie. Maybe I wouldn't have proposed that night. Had, maybe I wouldn't have proposed to her had we not had that night together, you and I. Maybe we would have met other people. Maybe I'd still have my leg. Maybe you wouldn't be dying. It was supposed to happen this way. I get to go out the tragic supporting character that brings the two leads to a greater understanding just <laughs> by having knowing me. And Typical queer part. <laughs> <laughs> he chuckles just a little and Percy wipes his eyes. I would have been, I would have been blissfully oh. happy with either of you, honestly. And not for nothing, Frankie too. She could have had either of us if she said the word, but... In the end, it was you. Only you. And only her. You could have only 
been with her. That's why I call my book Five Loves. Me and you. You and her. Her and me and me and her. Her and you. There's no you and me. Five loves. Almost a perfect circle. I haven't had sex in a year and a half. I don't even know if I can anymore. Exterior, raised cabin, backyard, a snowbank night. Frankie shivers and paces alone. Her tears are turning into icicles in her eyelashes, and she looks back up at the cabin. She swigs the whiskey, wincing, talking, taking too much. She wipes her mouth and looks up at the cabin again, and in a whiskey haze, the cabin looks much further away than it did when she first ran outside. Panic flashes in her dilated eyes. Interior, raised cabin, living room, night. Percy and Ray are deep in their conversation. I just don't know how to be... You know? What? Now that she knows what happened between us? No, I mean with my leg. Without my leg, I... I feel like a freak. Is it... I mean, are you all right down there? Yes! No. It was a close call. Had the door been jammed in any other direction, I might not have a dick. Or, you know, you'd be dead. Oh, I'm dead. Trust me. (laughs) Oh, death jokes. The dying guy. Hmm, primo taste as always. I just don't know how I'll be. A whole piece of me just isn't there anymore. I, I, I can't even look at myself in the mirror. You, teeny, you two need to fornicate. Tonight. I don't care if it's messy. I don't care if you can only get half-hard and are gunshy about your scar. I don't care if she smells like the entire 7th Avenue liquor store exploded in her face. You have to do it. Or it's over. <laughs> Exterior, raised cabin, a snowbank night. Frankie, clo- Frankie closes her eyes, laying on top of the snowbank, holding the whiskey in her hand over a snow angel she made. She starts to drift off, the calming sounds of the forest and stillness of the snow engulfing her. You stay up here much longer and you'll turn into a popsicle. <laughs> Frankly, Frankie slowly opens her eyes but does not move an inch. I'm not coming down. All right, dear. Hetty starts to walk away and Frankie closes her eyes again. And before you catch your death of cold, you might want to help Ray leave this earth. Yeah, then do whatever you want. It's your life. But that's just my opinion. I don't claim to know much about anything. (laughs) Hetty continues to walk to the cabin. Interior Ray's cabin living room night. Percy stands above the recliner as Ray clutches his chest in pain. Unsure of how or if to touch him, he shifts his weight. I'm not going to infect you, Percy. Please take me to bed. Percy takes a second, then he helps Ray up gently. Could you have given this what you have to me and Frankie? Is that possible, Ray? Percy puts Ray's arm around his shoulder to study him. No. I got this long after any love between the three of us happened. Percy lets out a sigh, but not totally at ease. Answer me this. Do you really want to die tonight? Ray looks into Percy's eyes. Do you want me to? Of course not. Percy straightens Ray out. Then yes. Interior. Ray's cabin, hallway, night. Percy walks beside Ray in the hallway, taking a step with his crutch, then bracing Ray's neck, then hopping. Taking another step with his crutch, then bracing Ray's back. It's a balancing act. Ray grabs Percy's hand and Percy smiles. Interior, Ray's cabin, porch, night. Frankie walks into the glass porch area, her teeth chattering, and grabs a dirty blanket off of a wicker chair. Wrapping herself in the blanket, approaching the back door, she reaches for the handle. Percy opens the door for her from the other side, and Frankie looks at him and then tries to get around him. He puts his hands on her shoulders, and she tries to wiggle out from his grip. Let me go. No. Percy kisses Frankie, pushing her back into the porch area, and she fights him on it. We can't do this. It's too late. Percy takes the blanket wrapped around Frankie and then throws it behind her on the floor. See, I think we can. 
Frankie shivers and Percy kisses her neck. I'm frozen. No. Frankie kisses Percy's back and the two of them kiss their way onto the floor, Percy throwing his crutches aside. What about everything that happened? Can't change it. But how, how do we do this? Percy stops kissing Frankie. I have no idea. <laughs> Frankie pulls Percy down onto her, kissing him. Interior Ray's bedroom night. Ray stares at the ceiling, lying on his back in bed, and Hetty walks into the room to Ray's side. Thank you for coming, Grandma. I'm here, dear. And, and your parents don't know I'm here. No. Thank you for inviting me to be part of this. <laughs> Hetty sits, brushing Ray's hair with her hands. Interior Ray's cabin porch night. Percy and Frankie make love under the wool blanket spread out on the floor. Frankie closes her eyes and lets the moment wash over her, and Percy has no problems performing. Interior Ray's cabin kitchen night. The <laughs> clock reads 3 a.m. Interior Ray's cabin bedroom night. Hetty and Ray smoke cigarettes laughing in bed. Interior Ray's cabin porch night. Frankie lays on Percy's chest as he covers her in blankets. She looks up at Percy, and he looks right back at her. Interior Ray's cabin bedroom night. Ray doubles over in pain as Hetty fluffs the pillows behind him, rubbing his back. Interior Ray's cabin kitchen night. Frankie and Percy use teamwork to mix the mother of all Long Island iced teas in a clay pitcher. An old radio on low crackles in the background. One year, soldiers... One year... One young soldier over there in Korea, one of our men, saluted me when I visited him there and very proudly said, Mr. President, we're on the frontier of freedom. Well, so are you. Thank you, and God bless you all. Turn that prick off. Percy unplugs the radio with an angry vigor, and Hetty walks in. He's ready. Interior, Ray's cabin, bedroom night. Frankie and Percy walk into the room, and Ray smiles mischievously at them. Frankie hands Ray the huge pitcher of Long Island, and he takes one generous gulp. They sit down on either side of the bed with Ray in the middle. You, took, you two look nice and flushed. <laughs> Percy sips from the foul but fortified drink. Frankie blushes for a moment and then takes Ray's hand. I'm sorry about earlier. Messed up our last night together. She kisses Ray's hand. Percy leans in and takes Frankie's other hand. Frankie looks to Percy. Ray takes Percy's hand. They sit chained to one another for one beautiful moment. Yeah. Wouldn't it be a classic night with you two without one of us having some sort of hysterical breakdown, right? <laughs> Do you have a note or something? Too obvious, Purse. We want it to look like I drifted off, right? Are you sure you don't want just one more day? We could take you to the lake. No. No, I, uh, I'd like to be cremated and have my ashes spread throughout Manhattan. The theaters, the park, the fountain. You know the one. Go to Syracuse and put a little bit of me by Varsity Pizza. <laughs> Frankie and Percy laugh just a little, knowing exactly what this little inside joke means. The clock reads 6.13 a.m. We don't have much time. Hetty walks into the room and sits on the chair next to the bed. She hands Frankie the plastic bag and some duct tape. She looks up at Ray, and Ray takes another drink from the pitcher, offers some to Frankie. She declines, and Percy takes the pitcher away and sets it on the bedside table. Frankie lifts the bag up, but stops. I can't be the one. I... I can't do this. I'm sorry. I thought I could. And it should be me, but, Ray, I can't. I just can't. Hetty puts her hand on Frankie's shoulder. I'll do it. No, uh, I'll do it. He takes the bag and the duct tape from Frankie. Ray looks up at Percy. He takes a few deep breaths. Then he nods at Percy. And just outside the window, the sun is beginning to rise. Frankie turns on a record of 80s new wave music from across the room, then comes back to Frankie to take Ray's hand. Hetty holds on to his other his other hand. The room vibrates with melancholy, upbeat 80s beats while the focus slowly inches closer and closer onto Ray's face, drowning out the people, 
The sounds, the sun. The colors blur, a strange kaleidoscope. The colors turn to gray, morphing, slowing down, and the music stops abruptly. Happy birthday, Ray. Fade out. Woo! Are we doing all right, guys? Oh, no. I know. Um, do we want to take a break or do we want to just dive in? Okay, we're going to take a quick break, guys. Um, for those tuning in live, stay tuned. For those listening on the podcast, we'll be back in two seconds. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> Thank you. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Unproduced Table Read. Gosh, Captain, thanks again for oh, that, yeah, that lovely, really lovely script. Really needed that break. Yes, yeah. I know. We needed a minute to kind of collect ourselves. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> I have something in my eye. Um, how did you feel about hearing it out loud? Um, that was magical, honestly, okay. to hear. I mean, it was just perfect, and it was like, what a treat as a writer, because you guys are also mm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. it, was ex it was everything I wanted and more. Good. Well, it's a treat for us. Um, not only is the script obviously very well written, but it's nice for our format because it's a small cast. It's kind of an intimate like chamber piece, mm -hmm. I would almost describe it as. Um, is that, was that usually a goal for you when you write, is kind of these small, intimate actors? Yes, yeah. yes. Because I, um, I am also an actor, and I think I'm really drawn to sort of, you know, these smaller pieces where you, know, you do have monologues, and mm -hmm. these people are rather dramatic and um, I know these people mm -hmm. they're me they're my friends yeah. I get it you know so did you think about ever staging it as a play that is um, actually honestly not until this very day yeah <laughs> I mean I love it as a movie because these are my favorite kinds of movies but yeah. I do think with some rewrites some not even huge overhauls you could stage this as a play oh completely mm -hmm. totally yeah. I know that the question is it's like Los An I don't know does Los Angeles really I'd have to go to New York yeah I'd have yeah. to right. bring it back to New York for that I don't <laughs> know Los Angeles theater scene is coming up right? yeah is it coming up yeah I think so actually, especially in this part of town we're in NoHo right oh, now for no. those listening That's and true. there's a lot of little black box theaters around here mm -hmm. and yeah I like I mean I love the script as an actress did you partially write Frankie for yourself I every every script that I write I'm sort of I sort of insert myself into definitely and Frankie there there are big parts of Frankie that are definitely me and and a little bit my mother also yeah. <laughs> I obviously love the Syracuse references that you used throughout that was yeah. clever yes that is that is where I am from mm -hmm. born and born and bred there so. so why an 80s script why an 80s movie well I'm glad you asked that because um, we did a uh, short of this about five or six years ago, and it took place in present day, and there were no AIDS references. It was just sort of Ray is dying, and it was from doing that short that I was like, there's something else here. There's, mm -hmm. there's something more here, and I think that to set it in the 80s and to make the disease AIDS was important to me because, one, I'm a huge ally to the community, um, and I Having gone to conservatory in New York City, a lot of my teachers uh, were former Broadway actors, people who had directed Broadway shows, and they all had these stories. You know, mm -hmm. by the time when I was in school, around 2003, 2004, you know, I mean, it's 15 years out. Everybody had someone who had died, or multiple people. Yeah. And so, so that's, that sort of struck a chord in me, and I'd always wanted to tell a story like this that was more personal, mm -hmm. you know? Do you, were you trying to make any kind of comments on today's culture with the script? I mean, I think it's such an insular, intimate piece, but a lot of writers, when they choose to set something in the past, their objective is still to kind of comment on things about today. You know, not intentionally, honestly. Mm -hmm. I didn't intentionally, uh, you know, try to comment on anything that's, you know, going on now, but I definitely, I think there's some things that are clearly still relevant, sadly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, the stuff that rang most interestingly to me was the religion stuff. Oh, and yeah. It's partly because I grew up in just a very inherently Protestant, you know, like I think mm -hmm. Bob is a guy I know, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, Same. And, but I think what I really like is how you gave us different versions of Christians in the script, and I kind of want to hear you talk about, this could have been a very one-dimensional takedown of religion, but it wasn't. And I want to hear you t speak to that a little bit. Oh, I'm glad it wasn't. Yeah. Um, I think maybe in previous drafts it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yay, time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's why you rewrite. That's why you rewrite yeah. over seven years. Um, 
Yeah, I I mean, I grew up, I have kind of an interesting point of view because my mom is Jewish and my dad was Mormon. Mm. <laughs> I was raised but, Mormon. Uh, hello! I was raised <laughs> Jewish. You're like, perfect <laughs> Andrew Roxy mix. You, you guys know. But neither one of my parents, they both shunned their backgrounds. And so mm. I grew up with nothing, zero. And so I grew up in this really Catholic town. All of my friends were Catholic. And I just was always like, I want to be where the church is and I want to know every, these people know something that I don't know <laughs> and so I would like sort of church hop and I would learn about different religions and stuff and it was really fascinating to me as a kid to sort of like surround myself with people that understood the Bible and people that you know got the Ash Wednesday and I was like I want Ash Wednesday I want to, I want to know about that um, but then I think you know you get a little bit older and you educate yourself and I, I'm, I'm very I'm very very glad let me just say that I, I was able to sort of make those choices sort of myself and sort of come to my own conclusions about mm-hmm. religion, yeah, which I think is probably on the page. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> is. So with that being said, you said it took seven years of rewrites to get yeah. to that point. Because um, this isn't an AIDS story and it's not a religion story. It's a, Good. It's a character. It's a relationship People. story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did you... How did you do it that way so that religion and AIDS weren't the focal point and then also that this big reveal at the end didn't make you be like, wow! It was more <laughs> of like a... Wow. You know what I mean? That makes sense. Yeah. Um, It took a lot of time for things to not be um, sort of standing out like a sore thumb. Um, It took a lot of different drafts. And honestly, I think that it took me aging a little bit because when I first, when I wrote this first draft, I was, I mean, I'm 33 now. I I wrote the first draft when I was like 26 you know, 25, and I was just a different person then. Hmm. And and it just took many, many, many years. And I, I would say also, too, I always knew what this movie wasn't, and it wasn't a girl or boy against the system movie, right. whether that's religion or AIDS or, you know, these these bigots. It's It was it was an intimate story of, of these three people loving each other. It's a love story to me. Mm-hmm. So it was almost kind of easy in the sense that knowing that it was never going to be like the Aaron Brockovich of, like, religion or, or AIDS movie. Because we've seen that. We've seen Dallas Buyers Club. We've mm-hmm. seen Philadelphia. They're amazing movies. I'm so glad they exist. But I always knew it wasn't going to be that. Mm-hmm. It, what it reminds me of is a lot of these really great 80s dramedies, which we talked about at the beginning. I referenced The Big Chill, which I think you said you yes. liked. Oh, um, I even get some John Hughes in yeah. general. Yeah. Um, was that sort of intentional <laughs> to like both set your movie in and pay homage to the 80s? Definitely. Cool. Um, I mean, I think that you know probably most people our age, we grew up watching those John Hughes movies, mm-hmm. and they're sort of like a part of your DNA, and you just you don't even know that you're referencing them. Um, but I, I really sort of wanted it to sort of be like, you know, what happens after 16 Candles 20 yeah. years later, and people are bitter, and they're <laughs> not working, and they lost their leg, you know? <laughs> That's what I always say. <laughs> this is what happens, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really nice. Um, were you nervous? I mean, it's tough. This is not like there's some really tough stuff in here, especially that ending. And I'm wondering, yeah. I feel like an ending like this is bold. And I'm sure you have written a million versions of this ending. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you talk sort of about the process, not only choosing this ending, but working through maybe alternatives and why you landed on this? I'm so glad you asked that. Yeah. Um, well, basically, when this beca- this was a nickel quarter finalist in 2014, and the ending was totally different then. And 
it sort of failed to, you know, everyone tells you like, oh, people are going to call you and you're going to like sell your script. And it didn't happen for me. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, three years later that I sort of went back into it and realized, oh my God, my ending is horrible. And this, <laughs> this, is, this is why this never really had the trajectory that I thought it would. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially what the ending was, I had been listening to too many people. You know how you mm -hmm. listen to too many people have opinions and it's good and sometimes you need to listen to them and hear them, take them in and sometimes the advice is really good and sometimes you know you listen to too many opinions and there's too many cooks and essentially mm -hmm. what had happened with the ending originally uh, for the Nickel one was they it was sort of I made it like a stage play. Mm. And it was it was a disaster. It uh. was like it was like you know you they bust out of the hospital and that's sort of like oh, okay, things need to happen pretty quickly yeah. after that, you know? And then I had a, an additional probably 35 pages of them like, well, let's put on a play for Ray. We'll, put, oh. we'll do one of our old plays. And it was just really convoluted and awful. And um, <laughs> so it honestly wasn't until a couple of months ago, within the last six months, that wow. I went back and was like, oh, this, yeah, this is how this needs to end. I wanted it to be ambiguous. Right. You yeah. know? Because it needs to be the same movie, right? Exactly. Yeah, it sounds like the original version was two different movies that you kind of fused together, but well, it was just trying to be too highly artistic, right? You know, and it, it's never worked. You that just, way. yeah. I mean, I think that's beautiful advice of just like trust your characters and trust their journeys because mm -hmm. that's what people want, right? People want to see what happens to these characters, and that's that's your kind of creed as a writer, I think. Oh, totally. And like, I also thought, you know, because this is a limited amount of time that they have. Like, what do they have? Like seven hours, mm -hmm. roughly. And if you really are trying to kill somebody, if you are trying to help your friend die the way that he wants to die in his house, you, you, there's only a few options that you really have. Um, and right. so, you know, you can kind of look at it like, well, maybe he just drifted off and yeah. maybe he maybe he didn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, either way. No, but I got <laughs> excited because, well, one thing, Jules, I think we're getting some feedback from the booth. Yeah, That's one I, thing it's either a song or noise that I can't, I don't know what's going on. The other thing is that I saw you highlight Oh yeah, it's a lifetime, and I wanted to do the same thing. So and now that you're really? what the seven years. So uh, she, there's the you know she says we have seven hours. That's a lifetime. lifetime and yeah. Jeff highlighted it when I read it. I highlighted it at home. Yeah. Um, why did you highlight that? I want to talk about that line. I mean, it's obviously, so, it's such a brilliantly it's written brilliantly line. written. Can you explain? I mean, for our listeners who might not be catching up on just the subtle brilliance of that line, explain it to us a little bit, and then how you landed on that because it's one of the smartest lines we've written on this show. To We're me. talking about it's a Frankie line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Frankie says yeah. Uh, that's a that's perfectly fine. We have seven hours. That's a lifetime, which to him is more than a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, let's, exactly. Let's talk. Let's break that down. Yeah. Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, well, I think that in in the context of how it's happening in the scene, you know, Frankie is, you know, she's very kind of spastic and she's very, you know. She's, directory. She's directory and she's panicked and she's in love and her heart is breaking. And uh, her being this sort of director of sort of like, we'll make it happen, right? We just need, you know, <laughs> a pair of tap shoes and... Put on a show. And like, just sort of coming from that sort of point of view, it's like, you know, you make it work. And anybody who has ever had anybody end of life stuff, whether it's someone extremely close to you or, you know, on the peripherals, you're watching it unfold on Facebook or whatever, you know that, you know, when, when it comes down to it, sort of brass tacks, you kind of get this like superhuman mm -hmm. thing that happens mm -hmm. where you're like, you kind of go outside of yourself and you're like, I will do whatever I have to do to help this person get through this last phase of their life. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where sort of where she's sort of coming from mm. with that, where it's like, 
We only need three minutes. What are you talking about? Come right. on. Because right before that's the first time that you see fear in Ray's eyes, yeah. mm-hmm. which has never been seen yeah. in the whole script. Which exactly. Which I also think is, because I, when I was reading it the first time, I was like, did I read that? Mm-hmm. It said he was frightened. Yeah. 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 So that next line being that is just, it also leads to my next question, which is how the hell is this only 90 pages? Mm-hmm. Like, how did you fit yeah. this much good story and character yes. into 90 pages? This should, this, starting off reading it, you would think it was going to be a two-hour drama. Right. You know. Thank you. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> time. <laughs> Getting old. Yeah. Um, honestly, uh, I was able to do it. I, I have to, I have to thank my husband for that in the sense, my husband is a cinematographer and, um, and I became a director in the past five or six years after I wrote this. This is actually why I became a director. You were like, this needs to go. This needs to go. Yeah, because I was like, there's no one else that can direct this. Um, But we did a series uh, of shows and sort of uh, little short films, and I started editing. And through editing video, I was like, oh, God, this is so over the top, too much, don't need this, get to the story, what's the story? And that honestly like, set me free in my writing, and I was sort of able to go back into older scripts like this and be like, okay, well, f- where, where's, where's the meat of it, though? Mm. Like, we don't need all of these ums and this and that and whatever, and, you know, I don't know, I think a movie like this, it needs to be 90 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It needs yeah. to kind of move. It can't be longer than that. I also love that because of the 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 circumstances and the and the, the bar that you're setting because Ray only has seven hours. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're like, right. It, it has to go fast. Yeah. And we were Stakes. talking outside, you said it it's it, it's a very fast read and I wasn't expecting it to be so fast. But <laughs> you got the story really quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's really all you needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like, like you. when you look at movies from the eighties, like a lot of those dramas are only ninety minutes. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. only recently that we've become obsessed with movies being more than ninety minutes. Yes. Yes. Most yes. are like like two and a half hours now, and I'm yeah. like, why? You're like, right. why? still here. Right. I know. <laughs> right. um, yeah. Another thing, sorry, I have so many questions. Yeah. Uh, so, Rox and I do improv, and one of the things they talk about in improv is that, like, you don't ever try to be funny in a scene, you just live the scene out, and you're already a funny person, so it should come through. And with your writing, I noticed there was a lot of moments where all of us were kind of chuckling or laughing and there'd be different moments and some of us it was scattered did you try to inject comedy in this or did it just kind of come through organically it it, it comes through organically for me um i have i do have a comedy background improv background mm. and i you know it's sort of um i <laughs> I kind of have to watch it when I'm writing my dramas because I'm like, yeah, don't do dick jokes here, you right. know. <laughs> There's a time and a place for it. Um, so it was, I have, I've had to kind of pull myself back from it and sort of, for me, I think the harder part is injecting the drama in the right places because mm-hmm. the comedy comes a little bit more naturally to me and sort of finding the beats of like, okay, where is, where is this appropriate? Mm-hmm. Well, A, I love that Ray got the penis joke. Yeah. Um, if you were going to put one in there. Um, and B, I love that you didn't, you didn't pay, like, put Ray in this whole quintessential I'm dying so I'm just very serious mm-hmm. role and he's got the drama the, the comedy I mean and he he's got the sense of humor yeah. Yeah. yeah and exactly. it's so funny because the weight of him dying just makes him lighter I just mm-hmm. think that's hilarious oh totally yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. hi that's my favorite <laughs> yeah. it's such a good part for you Tim you read I love that you. so well. thank you that's yeah. so sweet thank you um, I have to also ask yeah. you just because we're talking about characters now who is the most difficult character for you to write and who is the easiest character for you to write Ooh, mm-hmm. well <laughs> The easiest character for me to write is Frankie because I, you know, Frankie. <sighs> She's my girl. Yeah. She's such a hot mess. That's, that's kind of, <laughs> I really, yeah, I have a lot in common with her. Um, and the hardest character for me to write, I mean, hands down, was Bob. Mm. Uh, Bob is a toughie. Yeah. Bob went through several incantations. <laughs> yeah. Were you nervous about such a Bob the Monster? I mean, like how, I think on this draft you landed at a way that we can at least 
understand Bob? We yeah. all know that guy. We know that guy. Exactly. And I think you create moments where we don't necessarily empathize with him, but we can justify him from a you character standpoint. You know where standpoint. he's coming from. Yeah. Can you talk about, like, just the challenge of writing villains? Because, like, he's really the only quote-unquote, like, villain in the script. Right. And I hate using that word because mm-hmm. I think it kind of insults your script, which is obviously <laughs> much more complicated than that. Right. But still, I'd love you to speak to that just for, our, like, listeners. It's super complicated because in a story like this, yeah, you're right, we don't really have a... A, vil- a, a real villain. A villain is time. Villain is this disease. Right. Um, and Bob is, you know, uh, coming from the perspective of having, you know, uh, a good amount of family members, um, sort of in the in the Bible Belt area, and sort of just picking up on little things. Um, I, I never meant to, in- or at least intentionally, make him a villain. And I really, it was really important to me that he have a heart and that he, that you understand why he he speaks the way he does and especially those little lines of like I don't hate you I just hate like your your choices because it's killed you mm-hmm. essentially and you, you sort of get sort of a, a look into you know his logic essentially so to me um, ooh Bob the villain I just I really probably saying too much here but <laughs> we all know that guy that's that's mm-hmm. that sort of stubborn set in his way is not going to change but loves you will give you the shirt off his back kind of person. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'll go I'll go help you, you know, uh, fix the flat tire in your car, but <laughs> just don't touch me one more. Yeah, just yeah. don't exactly. Yeah. I, I think, I think you No, go ahead. I think you're you're pretty safe here though because it's like <clears throat> the audience in which you're appealing to, if they are watching this, they're not going to have a problem with how you're talking about Bob. Like yes. if you're right. if you're turning on CNN or like MSNBC, like whatever you're putting on, you're not going to have a problem with them saying we're not a fan of Trump like that right because you know what you're signing up for so with this script with being so open about like being fluid with your sexuality mm-hmm. that nobody is watching this who's like I'm Bob yeah right. why yeah. You, like you know it's so a, like, a bit preaching to the choir yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure so I think for you, sure that you did a great job with that and then you went even a step further being like okay but I am going to still give you guys an explanation of why he's like this even though yes. I could just make him a mm-hmm. complete villain yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's pretty cool I agree yeah. and that last monologue that Bob has when and the end line when he says this is the only way we know how to be yeah i think in that one line justifies everything that you wrote for this character because Thank then you. you don't look at him like a monster you look at him like not with sympathy but with empathy and you're like i, I get i get it you do get it yeah. yeah no i mean i have a very good friend of mine whose dad um a very good friend of mine that i went to college with that is gay and he's you know married and lives a happy life and his father um is supportive of him but he but he voted for trump and that was a huge inspiration as far as writing this character was for me, just in the sense that they 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 actually have a pretty good relationship, but it's been strained obviously lately because of you know everything that's been sort of happening. Yeah, <laughs> How yeah. could it not? Yeah. But it's just sort of that interesting that it's like you can be you know you can love your son, but you can also completely and totally disagree with with his lifestyle choices. And I don't think it's unrealistic that Bob would be the way he is, especially in the early 1980s, especially with the AIDS epidemic Mm -hmm. and how, like, nobody had any knowledge of what, how AIDS worked, Mm -hmm. how it was transmitted. And so, at least not at that particular time. It's not saying that, like, I'm, like, justifying it by any way how he is. Oh, no, totally. But there's that layered on top of that already kind of, like, Mm -hmm. homophobic mindset and Mm -hmm. that kind of, especially at that time, AIDS reinforced that mindset. Mm-hmm. You well, know? yeah, and Reagan, so. you know, oh, no, he never I love said that anything. You threw Reagan in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 it was important. Turn that yeah. just a little yeah. bit, just a little exactly. pepper over, you know, because he never important. acknowledged it. Yeah. Yeah. He never acknowledged it. Yeah. So, 
when are we making this? I know. <laughs> like it's like talking about production and because you know this seems like it's fairly affordable to shoot, fairly yeah. affordable, whatever yeah. that means. And like, got a cinematographer in the family, mm-hmm. a director. Like, are you guys? <laughs> what's the deal? I would so love to make this. Um, I oh, I'm ready to make it. I, I don't I don't know. That is such a <laughs> wonderful question. I think the only thing that sort of because we do have a production company, yeah. um, my husband and I, and we make things, and it's exciting. <clears throat> um, my only sort of uh, thing from holding me back from, from making it at this point is that I really wanted, you know, if you see a movie where there's bad sort of CG of a leg not being there, mm. right. I'm not, because we're, we're capable of a good amount, but of sort of doing the Lieutenant Dan sort of, I'm not entirely sure if yes. we'd be able to pull that off without a good amount of help. Did you watch Stronger? Oh, no. It's good. Oh no, that's the Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. No, I haven't seen it, but I have. But Check it out. They mm-hmm. do a pretty amazing mm-hmm. job in there, and they have, they yeah. have a lower budget. Does like, he wear like a sleeve, like a green sleeve over it's his like leg a for green. I I like think, I think I'm guessing, like but I don't know because you don't yeah. see it in the movie. Of yeah. course. Same thing with Bad Batch. Also, they do a really good job with that. So I was going to ask that. It's like so. So you you're not opposed to taking an actor with both legs. Obviously. Oh yes. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I would. Or... I would love to open it up. I would love to. You know, if there's a act. You know, in the short version that we did of this, my actor Eddie McGee, who um, he's he's kind of famous. He was on Big Brother. Um, he's he's wonderful, and he has one leg. Oh wow. Yeah, he has awesome. one. And so it was a it was a it was a great time to sort of mm. see him play this this part. You know. Um, but no, I'm definitely open to. Andrew's like, I would cut off my leg. I would leg. Cut off my <laughs> leg and I would have Jeff help me. I'll get no, AIDS. <laughs> too much? Too much. Yeah. No, never too much. This is the last episode of our produce table reels. <laughs> I'm going to do a highlight reel of our show and yeah. just pick all these moments. Adrian did not like yeah. that. No, she didn't. Like, she did it. <laughs> and she couldn't even hide she it. No, no, no. I was like, where's the eyes? Where's the eyes? Oh, man. Um, one thing I want to ask you is just yeah. for our listening writers, like, cancer movies, and I know this isn't a cancer movie, yeah. but people dying movies are really hard to write, and they can just be so bad, you know? So yeah. how do How do you, just from, a, from from people wanting to write a My Friend is Dying movie, mm-hmm. what advice do you have to not make it a Lifetime movie? Oh, boy. <laughs> I think... You, I think you kind of need to come from a place of having some kind of experience uh, of, 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 of watching someone die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm old enough now that I've seen a couple of family members, you know, uh, lose their life to, to various different diseases. Um, and it, it shapes, I think, your, your thoughts on the process entirely. Because when, you're, when all you know about death is from watching lifetime movies there's a way that you think it's gonna happen right like you know it's like okay so this is the part where the hospice comes in and okay and it's Hmm. sort of like you're detached from it but when you actually go through that with someone close um it blows your whole world apart Mm -hmm. and i mean i I hate to say like wait until someone dies and then you'll (laughs) write a great screenplay (laughs) um but (laughs) but it sort of does kind of boil down to i think to that for for you know just the experience and also Mm -hmm. just like Listen to your dialogue. Mm-hmm. Talk to yourself. Hear it. Because you can call bullshit, yeah, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. You usually can. This is kind of a, a specific weird question as somebody who's also um, a writer, and I, yeah. I get curious with this kind of thing. So when you were you started writing this when you were 26, mm-hmm. and I'm sure if somebody had asked you at that time, are you ready to make this, you probably would have said, yeah, I am. <laughs> but you probably weren't ready to oh, make it then, no. and it wasn't the right yeah. draft. Mm-hmm. How do you know when you are ready to make something 
and when you're not. Because right now you said, I'm ready mm -hmm. to make this. How do you know that now you really are? When you're ready to throw it away. Yeah. yeah. I'm serious. Kinda, yeah. I walked away from this. I, I was hurt by this screenplay. I was let down by this screenplay. It, this screenplay gave me a nervous breakdown. <laughs> mm. And I, because I put everything I had into it. You know, I, I literally stopped my life. I quit my job. Like, I took a year off. I wrote it. And I expected things to happen. And a few little things happened. But then it just sort of fizzled. And, and I, I just said, I'm done with this. I'm, you know, it's like a bad relationship. Hmm. Right? Mm. I'm, I'm quitting my boyfriend. Goodbye. And... It took me writing a couple of other screenplays, getting some headway with that, getting some perspective. And then one day I just woke up and was like, no, this is a good story and I think I can fix it. And that's when I went back and fixed my disastrous ending. And I think, you know, maybe you're never really ready, but I think that as, as, as far as I'm concerned, once I had some distance from it and I could sort of, I wasn't so attached to it. It wasn't like everything. It wasn't my whole heart anymore. It's a piece of it. But sort of coming at it from that perspective of like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to direct this. I'm ready to get some actors in here and, and make this happen. Yeah. I get it better now. Jordan Peele had an um, uh, article in The Hollywood Reporter today where he talked about how he never actually thought Get Out was ever going to be made. Like He was oh, like, wow. when it got to the point where he was writing it, he's like, it'd be cool if someone looked at this. Mm -hmm. And then when someone looked at it, he's like, okay, it'd be cool if we made this. And then when they made it, he's like, well, it's never going to get released. <laughs> no and so it was kind of like this whole like thing of like, yeah. you never really kind of really know what's going to happen. You're like, you have your hopes and your dreams. But yeah. at the same time, it's kind of best to just kind of be like, well, this would be cool if that exactly. happened. But, Taking mm -hmm. the expectation sort of out of it. And yeah. of course, yeah. only a 26-year-old can be like, we're going to make this and we're going to win Oscars and it's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, and then it's like... <laughs> Years go by and you're homeless and never. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. I get that though. I I think I can relate because your first draft is too hot. It burns too warmly mm -hmm. and it's too close to you. And until you're able to let it simmer and kind of take a more objective look at what you've done, yeah. it's not ready. And it's it's hard as a writer to look objectively at your own work. And it does take it time really for it to yeah. cool off. And the first yeah. draft's kind of like, it's like you're building a body. So the first draft is just the bones of it. And so it doesn't really have like, it's not fleshed skin, out yet. Or yeah. skin or personality. Fleshed out. You ever yeah. look at a picture of yourself and you're like, I look so good. And then a year later you're like, I looked awful. <laughs> what was yeah. My hair was horrible. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. In my so. 20s, yeah. I thought that spiky, spiking my mm -hmm. hair out was cute. Yeah, yeah was totally. Cute. Like that, you're like, I'm hot. And then later on you're like, no, that was not no. cute. Yeah, no, no, no. Scripts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I always ask this. Um, and you kind of answered it already in the mm -hmm. beginning, but just in case. Um, it's the first time you've ever had a table read. So is there anything that you that really worked for you or didn't, things you want to change, any dialogues, or was it just like this Oh, my it? God. Okay, well, I was really wrapped up in you guys. Like, it was so amazing to just hear you guys and to hear the action lines, too. Oh, thank <laughs> thank you. you. That is a thankless job. So yes, thank you so much. He's oh, never been. Uh, yeah. Yeah. How yeah. many yeah. episodes have we done? Thank you. Um, You're welcome, everyone. I have to say, uh, it didn't. I, I had struggled with this line. I actually wrote it down. Um, I think it's uh, the the one <laughs> when Ray is talking the about the fornicate line. No, oh. although I do, I do like that line. You do? Oh, you don't like that line? I just, like I, the, like I just fornicate. Not, not, I just like because he's talking to. 
Frankie, so I oh no, he's talking, talking to, to Percy. Percy. Yeah. yeah. And just to get on his nerves, I think he was right. Just oh, to I like get that in note. there because he's I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember that. joking yours? about but it. But mine yeah, was sorry. you're at this, this beautiful read of you're like, I loved you, and it was a circle, and it was me oh. and you, and you were like, Oh, we haven't had sex in like <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, oh, we might need to go in and nuance that a little. That's they're selfish people, but <laughs> yeah, I, I know. that might I be a little too like, much. He is not listening to him right <laughs> yeah. now. Like, I'm just gonna... <laughs> <laughs> but on paper, I see why it made sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. now we're talking about the circle, mm. and he's like, yeah, but then, yeah, I yeah. get it. It's like, yeah, because yeah, it's that's... a beautiful <laughs> discovery of, like, the, the title of the book, and then like, God, I just need to get fucked. <laughs> I just need to get that's laid. I, mean. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, though. I, I mean, I like It's right. Yeah. Like, I could... S- I think that's the thing you shoot a couple versions on set. Right, and exactly. Yeah, it's, it's delicate. Yeah. Side, yeah. yeah. Um, well, obviously, it's in very, very good shape yeah. because we loved yeah. it. Um, I would say, have you thought about naming it instead of Happy Birthday Ray, uh, Five Loves? Is that too cheesy? But oh, I just, I was wonderful. like, I was like, no, I, think I like cute. that as that a title. Oh, yeah. oh, I love that. So, I don't know. Yeah, I am notoriously kind of... horrible at naming I anything. I think that's one of the hardest so, things to do yeah. is yeah. to actually. Horrible. That's, I'm going to, I'll tuck that back. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Something. I like that. Definitely. Good pitch. <laughs> um, any questions for us, Catherine, before we kind of make our way out? Oh my goodness, questions for you guys. So you guys are all writers, too. Yeah, right? Uh, You're all kind of... I wish I could have that title, but I do not. (laughs) I want to, but I'm scared. We actually read one of uh, Jeff's scripts on this play. It was amazing. Yeah, that's nice. Episode six. If you want to check it out. It's very different from this. It's just like very network comedy, but... (laughs) Family, fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a very strong writer. Well, I mean, everyone here is a very strong talent. I feel so lucky. We have some writers and actors and just... Great creative people. It's like with a show like this, I couldn't just have actors here. You need like really actually smart question askers and writers mm-hmm. and creative We're really people. Smart. And us actors aren't <laughs> smart. <laughs> <laughs> Not like you guys that. get a no, bad rap. Yeah. Um, it's very true. We deserve it some of the we time. We really do. Yeah. Well, yeah. um, <laughs> I, we're so appreciative that you brought I'm this on, Catherine, and you. we'll keep in touch. And I, I really do think you could shoot this thing for not much. I don't know. Is I mean, anybody listening out there? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that being said, if people are interested in financing this thing or yeah. connecting with you or talking to you. We have the location and we own all of our own equipment. So hey. There you go. So how do people reach out to you? Uh, abhorrentbehavior.com. That's okay. our, our production our company. Production Wait, company. say it again. Abhorrent Behavior. Abhorrent you know. Behavior. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. And do you have a Twitter? And at Catherine Easton. Perfect. All right. Well, um, if you have anything else you want read, send it my way. Oh, I, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I might take you up on that. Yeah. I mean, I this is my kind of movie. So, oh, yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, yes. Thank you for being here. If you guys like today's script, I have a couple other recommendations. And um, We read a script called The End of the Stars early in our run that I think also deals with um, death in a very subtle way like this. And we read a script called Six Letter Word mm-hmm. that um, just has some of the same beats of complicated family relationships. So I think I would check out either of those. Um, we will see you here next week on UTR. Um, I think the script we were going to read may have just pulled out, but we'll find something. Okay. Um, we'll either be here at 9 or 10, most likely 10. Um, and guys, my name is Jeff. If you want to find me online, you can do that at Jeffrey C. Graham. How about the rest of you guys? Uh, hi. You guys can find me at Andrew Guy online. Um, bye. You guys can find me <laughs> at Roxy Stryer. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, guys. I'm Timothy Michael. You can find me everywhere at I am Timothy Mike. And I'm Adrian Snow. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Adrian Snow. And one more time, Catherine. I am Catherine Isabel Easton, and I'm at Catherine Easton on Twitter and Catherine Isabel on Instagram. Sorry for the confusion. Catherine with a Y. Catherine R- with a Y. Y-N-E. Yes. Um, or that's abhorrentbehavior.com. You can find it there. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time here on UTR. Over here. Bye.
From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.